Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm a bald Chinese lady with no pants on. And this week on Cinemodities, we are kicking off a new series. It's always so exciting. We finished up incomprehensible blockbusters, even though I'm sure we could have made that a fort month. That one can always come back, though. But our new series, the shorthand Zach and I have for it, is none other than Unexpected Love. And to elaborate on that, Zach had this great idea a few uh, months, weeks, who knows, in the time vortex, if time's even a thing anymore. But Zach had this great idea to say, hey, let's do some movies that when we say pe- tell people we love them, they come back with, are you serious? To some extent. And so we're getting a little bit of Zach, a little bit of Rob, but movies that when they've told people they love and truly love, it always gets some type of questioning look right back at them. Is that a good way to describe this series, Zach, or am I leaving anything important out? No, I think you've you've figured it out pretty well. All right. So I believe we uh, compiled, or each of us compiled, lists of movies that fall into this category. Um, I I think for both of us, it came from, you know, when we talk about it with other people, we get that response. But we also shared them with each other. So not only are these movies that, you know, people not related to cinemodities give us questioning looks about, but it was also ones where when we told each other, I told Zach and he told me, we were kind of like, oh, okay, really? (laughs) So we're hitting it from every angle. And I know that even though the name of this movie, Adventures in Babysitting, is in the title of the episode, so everybody knows what we're discussing, I love the fact that in this first episode of the series, our audience doesn't know which one of us loves this movie. So there (laughs) Uh is a sense of mystery this week, which I'm very excited about. Um, So I I was tempted to say we shouldn't reveal that to the end of the episode, but I think as as soon as we start discussing this movie, it will become quite apparent which one truly loves this movie. So... I don't know, maybe we'll want to do a live poll. So Cinemodities audience, call in. Give your votes. Who do you think loves this movie? Okay, we'll give them a few seconds. You know, all our live <laughs> listeners. If you, don't, if you don't have a phone or if you're not in the live audience, we want you to scream as loud Rob or Zach, as loud as you can, as to who you think fav- one of their favorite films is, Adventures in Babysitting. Wherever you are, scream it. Tell your Google Home, tell your Alexa... Do all that stuff. Okay, did we give them enough time? Do you think they're good? Let's let's give it let's five more seconds. Okay, okay. Louder. <laughs> Louder. This has become like Dora the Explorer. <laughs> Where's Which the map? Where are we going to? <laughs> There's only you... one town on the screen, Dora. <laughs> you mean what what Gotham level city, Rob? Come on, get it right. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, without further ado, we are kicking it off with a movie that Rob loves. Yes, it's true. Rob loves Adventures in Babysitting. And we're going to get into exactly why he loves it. We're going to even get to see if Zach loves it now. But the thing I have to say is that, as I already set up, when Zach and I kind of curated our lists and we read them off to each other, when this one came up, I think Zach said he was interested almost immediately. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I, I was. My curiosity was piqued by this. Yeah, of course, because this one, 
um, is it always gets the response. You know, whenever I talk about this movie, it doesn't come up too often. But if people see it on my hard drive or if I want to throw it on, they'll always be like, really? You like this movie? And I'm like, no, 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 I don't like this movie. I love this movie. I do want to say that um, uh, there's another movie that gets probably the biggest response of like, oh, my God, you love that movie. And we've already covered it. We covered it a long time ago. And it's spirited away. People are always blown away that I love that movie. And it baffles me because everybody loves that movie. But we are here to talk about Adventures in Babysitting. And I, I don't know how we want to go through this. Uh, I don't know if we want to do a, a uh, of course, we'll have to give a plot summary. I don't know if it's a scene by scene type of thing. But I have to ask the question, now that Zach has finally seen it, and it's my understanding that he had not ever seen this movie prior to me bringing it up. What are your initial thoughts I enjoyed it. I, I, I really did. I was kind of, I guess I kind of figured I was going to enjoy it. I like, I like coming of age stories. So I'm a yes. sucker for this type of film to begin with, but I always thought this was a Disney movie, which, which is, which is what it is. It was released under the touchstone banner. Um, but no, I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised by this. And yet, as I watched it, I'm like, Oh, I get why Rob likes this. This is back when you can make children's entertainment and it was allowed to have a certain edge to it. And this was like right before the '90s, where everything had to be sanitized. And uh, they, unfortunately, they don't make movies like this anymore for the specific audience it was intended for. And the uh, 2016 remake oh, is a clear example of that because, folks, I watched that and Rob didn't. Yeah, so I was planning on watching it, as I think I told Zach. And I went and I read like the plot synopsis on Wikipedia and other sources, and I was just like, oh. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and I made the firm choice not to watch the remake. Um, I, I might watch it one day, but I just I love this movie so much. I For this discussion, I just wanted to be honed in on, on the original. Um, I mean, I read like what it's it's not. They don't sing the blues in the remake. They do a rap battle. It's uh-huh. all updated uh-huh. for like the modern age. Like they're switching cell phones. And I was like, oh, please. I think I got a headache as I was reading the synopsis. That's how much I, one, love this movie and how much what I read about the remake hurts me deep inside. <laughs> I want to talk more about the remake later on, but, okay, okay. I watched this, the, the 1986, what, 1986, right? Yeah, 86 or 87. 87, yeah. I watched the 87 one a couple of weeks ago before even I watched Gili because I just wanted something kind of more lighthearted to watch, and I enjoyed it. <laughs> But then I kind of realized in the last couple of days, I'm like, eh, I don't really remember. Outside of the couple, like, really quotable lines, I don't remember much from the movie. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to kind of do a crash course on adventures and babysitting. So I, I watched the 2016 movie, and then I put on the 1987 film, but I actually put it on at one and a half times normal speed. Okay. And that's essentially what the remake is. It is the original film, of course, sanitized. Yes. But... At like one and a half times the speed. Imagine wow. this movie, but on Ritalin. That's the remake. <laughs> Are the characters in that movie on Ritalin? Is that like Probably. the? Uh... Well, okay. there's the remake is weird. There's some. Like, it's, it's okay. We should say the remake is a Disney Channel original movie. Yes. So everybody, all... everybody, let that sink in. A Disney Channel original movie is a remake. I'm sure this isn't the only yeah. one, but that blows my mind because of how just yeah. dumb it sounds. Yeah, I know. Um, but I do want to get into that because there's some really weird, like, like just odd creative choices in that, in that mm-hmm. movie that I, I just, 
it, it, we'll get into that because as everybody knows, I have an affinity for Disney Channel original movies. But yeah, it it's not horrible. Uh, it has odd things it does, but it's it's inoffensive. Uh, clearly, it's it's sanitized. There, there's okay. none of that like uh, biting satire or humor. It's there's really not a lot of humor. Period. It's just it's coming of age story between two teenage girls, mm-hmm. which is essentially the Disney Channel for the last almost twenty years. <laughs> yeah, they're play. It's a again for an original movie, quote unquote, or, or technically we can't put enough quotation marks around that. So we're not even going to try. <laughs> um, it plays firmly within the Disney wheelhouse. It's it's like every one of their shows. It's like it's nothing different they've been doing for the last twenty years. It's it plays it safe with a capital S, except for it plays it safe but weird in the context of today's society. But we'll we'll get into that later on. Okay, okay, yeah, it probably is good to discuss the original before the remake, right? <laughs> At least sure. give some context because I would imagine um, more of our audience would have seen this the original than the remake. But that's that's just my gut. Feeling. I don't know, Rob. There's, at this point, more people have watched, listened to the Pixel Perfect <laughs> episode. So who knows? That's I think, true. I think we in, we have a, a Disney Channel original movie audience here. So maybe they're kind of saying like, "Not my adventures in babysitting." They're talking about the '87 <laughs> film, not the 2016 <laughs> one. I would love to see that hashtag. <laughs> so please give the audience your context, because I'm just as curious about Adventures in Babysitting 1987. Oh, okay, okay. So I believe I've mentioned it on this podcast before that a a good bit of movies that I uh, watched, probably, you know, a vast majority of the movies that I watched when I was younger came from my grandmother's huge collection of VHS tapes. Like, uh, she had so many. I I can't remember if, uh, if I watched, if we discussed something that came up from that list before. But, you know, she had, like, all of, like, Batman the Animated Series on VHS tapes. Really? Yeah, that's where she had, like, Mac and Me on VHS tapes. She had, like, Dick Tracy on VHS. And that's where, like, every weekend when, you know, my, my mom and would take me down to the Bronx to see her parents, my grandparents, I would just be, you know, like, oh, pick another movie and watch it type of thing. And so this was one of the movies that she had, Adventures in Babysitting, on VHS. And I remember, I, I think I watched it once, and I was then not allowed to watch it anymore. From my mother. My mother is, is, was not the strict one of my parents when I was younger, at least as far as I remember. But I'm pretty sure my mom didn't like the use of the word fuck in this movie. Don't fuck with the lords of hell. Yeah. Don't fuck with the babysitter. <laughs> and that's why she didn't want me to watch it. So there was a point in my life where it was kind of like I was being told no but I really liked it the one time I watched it and I wanted to watch it more. And, uh, you know, there were a few times where I think I watched it kind of without her knowing, like I was, you know, a little sneaky kid back in the day and she was off doing stuff and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to watch Adventures in Babysitting. And I grew to love it. It was so much fun, whether or not, you know, just me as a kid enjoying it or the, the dangerous aspect of sneaking behind my mom's back and watching this movie. But uh, it kind of died down, you know, as I got into my teenage years. And then eventually... When I was collecting files and, you know, filling my hard drives, I was like, oh, I have to get Adventures in Babysitting. That was one of my favorite movies. And when I rewatched it after I found it, I kind of, you know, didn't get bit by that, that just the nostalgia bug. Of course, there was some nostalgia. That's why I wanted to find it. 
But it was more like, oh, wow, I really enjoy this movie. And there was, of course, a lot more stuff I understood when I was, you know, 18 than I did when I was however old, like eight, nine or, or so watching it then. And so I kind of realized that I was like, man, I love this movie. And it became almost a regular thing. And I still regularly kind of watch it. This is one of the movies that I'll just kind of throw on when, you know, I, I kind of want to watch a movie I'm familiar with and I really dig. I, I don't think it's ever come up on here, but it's one of my mood movies. And whenever I'm in, like, a great mood and I want to watch something fun, this is usually what I'll throw on. When I'm super depressed and I want to die, I'll watch, like, it's always, it's such a beautiful day. And when I want to feel like a kid again, I'll watch Spirited Away. You know, it's that stuff you can throw on, and it just, you know, kind of, it kind of, you know, gives it that good atmosphere. And as I kind of got older, throwing this movie on, showing it to people, them being like, you fucking like this movie? <laughs> like, this is for kids. And I'm like, you're missing the point. I, I started to realize that this, I, I not only love this movie, but this movie kind of opened me up as maybe, you know, a, a storyteller or, or, or a person who, who likes to think of that stuff in, its, in this type of movie. Because I, I couldn't find like a good phrase for it, you know, through my own um, nomenclature or through online. But I see this type of movie as, you know, it's, it's some superstructure where, you know, the characters have some goal to accomplish, but the actual movie and the actual story is glued together by loose vignettes. So other examples, of course, would be Pee-wee's Big Adventure, After Hours, my favorite Martin Scorsese movie, um, and more recently, Under the Silver Lake, to some extent. You know, there's, there's some big thing going on in the story, but you kind of have all these single, uh, singletary steps to get from point A to point B. It's not really under the character's control for a lot of it. And you never really get cutaways from our characters. And I realized that, you know, I love that style of, of writing, of storytelling. I, for some reason, I love just kind of, you know, we get all these little interjections. Um, oh, straight story is another great example of that structure. And... Uh, and this movie was the thing that started it all for me. Like me watching it when I was younger, I realized like that's probably why I latched onto it. I love that storytelling. I love that structure. And I had never seen anything else like it when I was a kid. So now whenever I kind of think of, well, what's the go-to movie of loosely tied together vignettes of great characters, it's Adventures in Babysitting. So I, I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm glad I watched this when I was a kid. Uh, I'm glad that, you know, I was able to watch it once I went to college. Um, maybe my mom, I don't know, I haven't asked, talked to her about in a while, maybe she still doesn't want me to watch this, but you know, now I love it. So I'm glad you enjoyed it too, Zach, that's very good to hear, and I guess we'll talk about the remake a little later, because I am interested in the structure of that, but do you know of a name for this type of movie, like, as I've described it, you know, these loose vignettes kind of tied together? I know we kind of talked about it with Straight Story as a road movie, but this this isn't really a road movie, type, and neither is After Hours and Under the Silver Lake, but it's still got that kind of same, you know, meeting people along the way vibe, you know? Uh, sure, no, I know what you mean like that. It's it's, it's a, a anchor of a story tied together with little events that, yeah. that, yeah, I know what you mean by that. Yeah, I don't know if there's a specific name for that, like in uh, uh, storytelling terms or in narrative terms. There probably is. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you've elaborated, you've, Described it well enough that the audience sure. can follow along. Yeah, if anybody knows what that's called, uh, comment right down in. below. Yes, <laughs> leave a comment. It'll be the subtitle of this episode. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I absolutely love it. I'm glad I got to watch it. Um, I watched it twice in preparation for this recording. Um, there was something else I watched, and then this came on after it, 
and I was just like, oh, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it play and watch this movie. I can't remember what it was, though. Um, but no, it's good fun. I'm glad Zach liked it. And I think where I want to start is something that I didn't know until the research for this uh, discussion was I started to dig into, well, you know, who who made this movie? What else have they done? And and kind of, you know, seeing maybe there was other things that I, I liked by those. Of course, the obvious one, I think what everybody hears about this when you do any amount of research is that this is the directorial debut of Chris Columbus, the same Chris Columbus that found <laughs> America, of course. And uh, I think, you know, Chris Columbus uh, is just... I, some people, if they you know know him well to follow directors, they would love him as nostalgia from their childhood. Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Mrs. Doubtfire. And then later on, of course, what, the first two Harry Potters was him? Yep, yep. Yeah, so, so he's, he's become, you know, a, a big name, of course. Um, but the thing that I found really interesting was uh, the producer, I believe it was Deborah Hill of this movie, also worked with John Carpenter on the original Halloween Yep. Which is why you can see some scenes of Halloween in the background at the beginning of this movie. And the thing that really blew me away was this was written by a guy named David Simpkins. And I did not know that name when I first read it, but it sounded familiar. And it turns out that David Simpkins is the executive producer of Warehouse 13, which is one of my favorite TV shows of all time from the good old sci-fi channel. So I I think, you know, this whole kind of team that came together and made this movie that I kind of, you know, have come to love and have loved. They went on to do other things that have inspired me as well without me really knowing it. So I thought that was pretty neat. Cool beans. Yes. Did you uh, did you pick up on the this like the with the two frames of Halloween we get to see in this movie? I, I you can I don't think you see it. I think you hear it. Oh, okay. You I just hear it. it. I just I figured that was what was on the TV because it is super fast at the beginning. Yeah, I know you hear it though, but I don't I don't think you see because at one point they changed the channel and you can still hear it. Ah, okay, okay, gotcha. But yeah, we got we got some tie-ins for sure. <laughs> well, even even there's an, even though homage to that because while they're while, while it's on playing on the television, we have what's his Daryl like, and it's shot <sighs> the exact same way with the sister sitting on the couch, and yes. you have him on the window behind, like like with his face pressed to the glass. I'm like, oh, that's a Halloween homage. Yep, yep, yeah. Daryl, uh, played by Anthony Rapp when he was very young. Um, uh, what is he? I don't know if he's been in anything recently, but he was um, one of the leads in Rent, the movie yep. version. And um, he was one of the people speaking out against Kevin Spacey. We had to bring that up, right? Of course. <laughs> All right, who wants who wants to do the Foghorn Leghorn voice and do it in person? I didn't. Didn't Kevin Spacey murder a bunch of more of his accusers? Now I'm okay. Allegedly I keep, I keep murder. Seeing, I keep seeing memes about it, and I'm like, this is this is. This is memes now? News? Like, our news bits? <laughs> yes. Uh, every single Kevin Spacey accuser, like, is slowly getting picked off. It feels like like Rorschach from Watchmen. It's like, <laughs> if you, who want to kill these people? Who's picking off costume anti here? Or was it vigilantes? Yeah. The gutters are filled with people I've wronged, and they will look <laughs> up and scream, save us, and I will say, no. <laughs> <laughs> I say, I say, I say. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Kevin Spacey's a monster. Okay. Um, I still haven't seen the new newest Foghorn Leghorn thing, but I don't know if I, I even want know. to. It's like it's, it's like a morbid curiosity, like watching a car accident, right? It's it's scary now. Like before, it was like, oh, ha 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 ha. Now you're watching, you're like, oh no, it's kind of like a clown that has a gun pointed at you. So you kind of feel awkward <laughs> if you don't. Like you're like, oh, I'm gonna die if I don't laugh. <laughs> oh god 
Yes, we got this dark on a kid on a movie from my childhood. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> I, one thing I want to point out though, about Rob's context of this, I like to imagine as he was like sneaking like the VHS copy or however he was watching this back in, in his formative years, the whole time while he was sneaking around his mother, you hear in the background, danger, danger, high voltage. <laughs> you hear that in the background place. He like, like tiptoes around corners and puts it like into the VCR. Danger, danger, high voltage, when we touch, when we kiss. Damn. Yeah, I yeah, I wrote that song before it came out in two thousand three. <laughs> oh man. Vernon Chapman. Uh who, who else are you now? I forget. Who else are you besides Vernon Chapman? Um You're a couple people. Now you wrote I, that I'm song. The, yeah, now I'm Electric Six before they were Electric Six. I'm um the dude who made that rhubarb jam or whatever. Yes, your hand. Yes. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's, there's somebody else know yeah, that's kind of uh that's low key. What's is there another big one that you're somebody? Probably. I can't keep track of all of it. All right. Somebody time, comment. Time Vortex kills me, Zach. All right. <laughs> comment down below if you know who else. If you know the inside jokes that Rob and I have forgotten. I like uh, this. I like this calling on our audience to remind comment us. Down, comment be- down below. <laughs> because, because one, if they do answer, it's going to be like a month from now. And we're going to have to remember what they were answering. <laughs> it's like trading places all over again. It's like yes. someone's, someone's like, I suggested that movie. And we'll be like, what movie? What are you talking about? Be descriptive. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, Christopher Columbus is, is oh God. Because we talked about him too in the uh, Fantastic Four documentary where he was oh, kind of responsible yeah. because he wanted to make, make that for Fox and say so the Barry, the Roger Corman film. And I'm looking at his filmography. He's got the strangest filmography. Like he starts off as a writer, like in Spielberg's camp in the early 80s. Yep. Doing things like Gremlins, The Goonies. And then he even did Young Sherlock Holmes, which was part of the Lucas and Spielberg company. Oh, yeah, okay. Then he transitions to directing with Adventures in Babysitting. Then he explodes on the, onto the scene with Home Alone and Home Alone 2. Mm-hmm. Then, I think about it, in a span of three years, he does Home Alone, Home Alone 2, and Mrs. Doubtfire. Damn. That's, that's a, insane. That's yeah, insane. That's, that's a powerhouse performance right there. All three, three three classics. The like hat that's, trick, yeah. Yeah, in three years, three classics. That's almost like as profound as like uh, uh, Spielberg doing what? A Jurassic Park and Schindler's List in the same year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then really, he did a bunch of stuff that really nobody talks about anymore, like Nine Months, Stepmom. But then in 1999, the, uh, the bomb of Bicentennial Man as Robin <laughs> Williams in a robot costume. I have never seen that, but I remember the, the I think the marketing for that movie. Yep. yep. Oh, I, I, I remember it was everywhere, like in 1999. And then, because uh, that was a bomb, but he lined it up with uh, Harry Potter's back to back, and that really, like, I, I would imagine he he coasted on that because he didn't really do anything until Rent in 2005. Then he did I Love You, Beth Cooper, which was a bomb. I saw I saw that he did that, and I think I saw that movie, but I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that a couple of times because, like I said, I love coming of age stories. Yeah, and I remember when that was like I remember the like the marketing for that. I'm like I was excited to see it. And I, I didn't, obviously didn't see it in theaters, but I remember like watching it eventually. I think on like on demand or something. And it's just it's so bland. Mm, okay, like it's weird. Like it's very imagine a raunchier version of Adventures in Babysitting because like the tra- had a really good trailer where it's like the dweeby guy tells the girl like like the pretty girl like how he feels at graduation during like the commencement ceremony oh okay and then she has like the really like jock boyfriend and a bunch of like shenanigans ensue and he gets the girl in the end but like 
it's weird. Like there's so it's supposed to be like, like a teen sex comedy, but it's PG thirteen, so everything has to be so sanitized. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have like that that edge that Adventures in Babysitting has. Sure. I know at one point the 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 guy protagonist has like a lightsaber and he's like, Yes, this is a polycarbonate blade. And then like Hayden Hayden Pantier like beats the guy over the head with like a, a skull. And it's like in like the, the best friend's gay, but he's like he doesn't know if he's gay, but he sleep has a, a three way with two women and he realizes he's gay. It, it's so weird. Then it comes out that like Hayden Pantier, even though she's like the most beautiful woman of all time, like lived like in an abusive household, like she was like destitute. Um, and her being like the prettiest girl, like she feels so lost now because now that high school's over, she's never gonna be able to like reclaim that throne of being like the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. And you watch that movie, and you're like, honey. You're Hayden Pantier. You're going to be the center of the universe no matter what room you walk into. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? You're pretty turns off because you graduate. Like, it's, such a, it's a weird idea that like someone who's gorgeous and for the most part is somewhat well, or for, the, for the most part, well-rounded, just is going to be completely off balance because they're no longer in high school. It's, it's oh, okay. I guess maybe that's a thing that high school kids think about, but. I, I don't. It's weird. It's a movie that really makes no sense. Um, then after that, he did Percy Jackson in the Harry Potter knockoff. Yeah, and he in, in the last film he's ever directed for five years <laughs> is Adam Sandler's Pixels. I love it. When I saw that, when I read that in the research, I just started laughing out loud. I never would have guessed that that was Chris Columbus. No, I mean I never saw that movie. I don't think I've seen a trailer for that movie. Really, you I never just... saw a trailer for that. Maybe before some other film, but I just know about it, I guess, through cultural osmosis and that what the the aliens see the video games and that Earth put in the Voyager or whatever. And then they think it's a like a war, a declaration of war it, that I like I said, I never would have guessed that was Chris Columbus. Isn't Kevin James the president? Yep. In yep. that movie. Yep. <laughs> and uh, oh, God, what's his name? Uh, oh, God. Oh, my God. Game of Thrones guy. Oh, um, Peter Dinklage. Peter right? Dinklage, yes, he's in there, and he's like a convict. And Woody Harrelson's wife from True Detective, Michelle Monaghan, she's in there too. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it's uh, I all of plot. Adam Sandler's friends. <laughs> yeah, well, come on, it goes without saying. Um, oh yeah, cause then even the one of the actresses from Spring Breakers is there. It's like a computer program like brought to life, and I think I forget someone wants to stop her, even though she's a computer cro- like I don't. Jeez. You know what the weird thing is? I actually bought that movie because it was $2.88 in Big Lots. <laughs> and it came with the 3D Blu-ray. And I figured, oh, I can actually make money if I sell this. And I'll keep the Blu-ray. And I, to this day, I've never watched it. Okay, okay. I've right never on. felt so bad. I've never been at such a low that I felt compelled to watch it. That's my suicide. That's my Good. suicide film, folks. Like where Rob has his like youthful movies, his happy movies, his sad movies. That's my suicide film. Like, have you ever seen me putting that on? It's like, no, Zach, put it down. Here's <laughs> Death Wish. <laughs> yeah, here's, death- <laughs> here's Death Kiss. Oh man, good. Yeah, I, I, that's what I was gonna say. You haven't sunk low enough to watch that movie. <laughs> Remember, folks, if you ever see your friend with a copy of Pixels, call the suicide hotline. Ask it's never too late okay. to get help. Yes, it's never too late to get them help. <laughs> Oh man, that's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, adventures and babysitting. So, Rob, do you want after a half an hour of talking about this film, do you want to give our audience, if they've not seen it, a brief run through of the plot? Yeah. So, so uh, I think the structure, you know, the the loose vignettes, point A to point B, happens to our characters that don't really fall into their control most of the time. But the superstructure is um, Chris Parker, played by Elizabeth Shue, gets 
dumped, or not dumped, uh, her date with young Bradley Whitford gets canceled because Bradley Whitford's sister is apparently sick, which is just, it's so clear in the beginning. And yes, I'm saying this, even though I've seen this movie a thousand times, it's so clear that he is lying to her in that first scene of the movie. But young Bradley Whitford says his sister's sick, so he has to take care of her, can't take uh, Elizabeth Shue out to a fancy French restaurant. So Elizabeth Shue is depressed. She calls her friend over, Brenda. Um, They're going to hang out or whatever, but then Chris ends up taking a babysitting job. And she goes over to babysit. While she's settling in for the night, she gets a call from Brenda, who says that she ran away from home, and she's at the bus station with no money. So uh, keep that in mind. I'm sure when we get to the remake, we're going to realize that there's no bus station in the remake. <laughs> no, so, there is There is in fact no bus station in the remake. So uh, Brenda calls Chris and she's like, I need your help. You know, I need to get out of here. Can you come pick me up? And Chris is like, oh, no, I can't. I'm trying to babysit these kids. But uh, a homeless man is screaming at Brenda to get out of his yep. house, a.k.a. the phone booth. We'll have to talk about all of the stuff that happens to Brenda. I love that little subplot of the movie. But Chris decides to go, and of course, she has to bring the kids with her. It's a little girl named Sarah. Uh, It's an older boy named Brad who is also in love with Chris, or, you know, is is fawning over her. And then a friend that uh, comes over and kind of injects himself into the situation, Daryl, played by Anthony Rapp. And they go out to pick up Brenda at the bus station, but a whole series of events. Their car breaks down. Uh, they get picked up by a guy driving a tow truck who wants to kill his wife's lover because he's getting cheated on. Um, there's there's the whole frat party they go to. They get involved with a chop shop. Uh, they have to go to a blues club. And just all these wacky things happen to them in their kind of uh, adventure in babysitting to get back home. And before we go any further, I do want to say that this is the first on-screen appearance of Thor. And it is Thor. I think the movie makes it very clear that it is Thor, but in his, like, secret identity. Donald Blake. (laughs) Of course, the little girl is telling the truth. And it's played by none other than Vincent D'Onofrio, credited as Vincent Philip (laughs) D'Onofrio. Yeah, that's that's the most shocking part of the film. You're like, oh my god, this is right, I think this is right after Full Metal Jacket? Yes. Which is the craziest thing yes. to see after seeing Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> and uh, I guess just, you know, spoiler alert, they do get back home just in time, in the nick of time, and everything goes well. It's a feel-good It's a feel good type of movie. And that's, uh, I guess that's, you know, Zach, you already said you were pleasantly surprised by it. Um, it definitely is kind of a, a happier movie, right? I, yeah, I, I don't think there's really anything. Like, it's just, again, it's, it's a fun romp. Yeah, exactly. It truly they don't make is an adventure like this anymore. Yep, a hundred percent. You know, there are some low points, but they're played for I think comedic relief. Like I'm thinking of when um, uh, Brad gets stabbed in the foot by the by the Warriors knockoffs on the on the subway <laughs> or the train, um, and then they have to go to the hospital. And another dude with a knife wound dies, and Elizabeth Shue is like, "Oh, is my friend okay?" And it's like, who's your friend? The one with the knife wound. Oh, no, he's dead. <laughs> and then, But it, it's almost like instantly turned around as, as comedic relief. And so nothing really ever gets too sad, too emotional. It's just a, a good romp, and it keeps a great pace. And the last 25 minutes, I think, go full-on ridiculous with little kids and, and shop shop people hanging out of the window of the Associates building in Chicago. Oh, it's, it's, it's good fun. Yeah, that part gets a little too farcical for me, where it's like, okay, we're, 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 we're God 
dozens of stories up in the air and we have children like just like just through what surface tension just hanging on the side of a building and i'm like <laughs> yeah that's a bit much like yeah it is I get slanted it. it is slanted so they, sure, they did take still. some liberties yes but but no it definitely i feel like you know it doesn't ramp up too abruptly i would say like i i you know because it kind of works for me because it gets the whole kind of things get wrapped up where um, they they get the car back from Thor and then she sees um, uh, young Bradley Whitford's car outside of the French restaurant that they're supposed to go to. So they go in and wrap that up and then they got to wrap up the chop shop stuff all because I should say that the bad guys in this movie, the chop shop people um, are after them because Anthony Rapp steals their playboy. <laughs> That does not show up in the Disney Channel original movie remake. Damn, no Playboy at all? No Playboy. See, but that, I think, this is something I, I really love about this movie, especially watching it in recent years. Like, like, like Zach said, they don't make movies like this anymore. Everything, I think, is perfectly set up. Because you got, at the very beginning, Daryl shows up and he's like, are you ready to go to my house? I have my dad's Playboy. And it's like, you should see the Playboy Playmate of the Month. She just looks just like Chris. And they've already established that, you know, they're both like fawning over Chris as the older babysitter. And then, so that's set up. And then when they're in the car, Daryl has the Playboy, like he brought it with him. And Brad throws it out the window. And he's like, that's my dad's Playboy. So, of course, when he sees it in the chop shop, he's going to steal it. Oh, it's perfect. Like everything is set up and paid off well. And like we were saying, like I'm saying that they don't make movies like this anymore. Yeah, I agree. Like everything is set up, everything feels like it has a narrative purpose. Yeah. But but even that level, like the level I appreciate this for is that like the jokes. Like I know at one point Brenda's talking about spiking her stepmother's tab with what, antifreeze? With Drano, yeah. With Drano, it's, okay. It's such a perfect like like in this day and age, I, I guess we should say, as I'm sure it's come up before, if anybody watched this movie now, the original. I don't think they would understand what that line means because it's no. delivered pretty quick. My stepmom's driving me crazy. If I don't get out of the house, I'm going to spike her tab with Drano. And people be like, tab? Like, like a bar tab? My parents are driving me crazy. My stepmom is such a pain. If I don't get out of the house, I'm going to spike her tab with Drano. Yeah. Nobody knows tab except Zach and I. I think we're the only people in our generation that know tab, thanks to the members of the older generation. But but it's perfect. Even that's set up because then we get the call from Brenda and she's like, I did it. I ran away from my stepmom. I didn't spike her tab with Drano, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sort of stuff, even like you said, with the Brenda, the homeless man. And it's like there's a homeless guy, man, guy here who says I'm living in his house. And he's like he, he constantly keeps beating on the glass of the phone booth. Yeah, get and out she, of my and, house. <laughs> and she opens it and kicks his like what slippers and like like paper bag. You've moved. And she slams the door back shut on him. Up, a bald Chinese lady with no pants on, and there's this old guy outside who wants his bedroom slippers. Get out of my house! You just moved! Chris, please hurry up and get here. And then even when she got the uh, the woman in the bus station steals her eyeglasses, yep, and she starts yep. freaking out. We have some stuff that unfolds from that where she's cuddling what uh, a giant rat, and she thinks it's a cat. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, yeah. The janitors want to take it from her, and she's like, give us the animal. And she's like, why? We're going to kill it. You're going to kill this poor defenseless kitten? And they just immediately start laughing at her, and they're like, that's a jumbo-sized sewer rat, you dumb bitch, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's good fun. Oh, yeah, there's a bunch of that stuff. Even the whole idea that, like, they get into a car that's being carjacked. Um, you couldn't have that today. This is, I think mm. we haven't, we haven't made this joke in a while on cinematis, but we saw the thing like going through scripts of the mod of the, of yesteryear with a giant, like oh. black Sharpie and being like, Nope, yeah. can't do that today. Can't yeah. do that today. Um, having a carjacking that wouldn't be allowed. That'd be a, Nope, can't have that. Sure. Um, having, having a winch, having a, a winch, having a gun that, that, Nope, not allowed. No one can use a gun. Um, yeah, that, that's the sort of stuff that like, not that you miss it, but it just, it adds a certain layer of realism. It's like, oh, of course that the tow, the, the tow truck driver would have a gun. So like he's fighting with his like, oh God, adulterous, mm-hmm. uh, the adulteress of his wife. It's like, so he'd shoot, uh, accidentally shoot the windshield. Yep. Um, again, yeah. And the fact the playboy kids look at smut. I'm not saying that you want that in a Disney Channel original movie, but it's the idea that like it adds that layer of realism that's just a hundred percent missing from the remake. Oh, okay, okay, good. Yeah, I'm glad we're once I, I'm, I have a good bit of questions I think about the remake, so I'm glad we're setting it up here. I while we're on the subject of of the um like really some of the only cuts we get away from our main characters. Uh, that are continuous throughout the movie are the cuts to Brenda's mishaps in the bus station. And I, I love, you know, when she first calls Chris with the homeless dude, she's she's like, Chris, you need to come help me. I just saw three people shoot up a bald Chinese lady with no pants on, and there's this old guy outside who wants his bedroom slippers. And when she says, like, the old guy with the bedroom slippers, we get a shot of the slippers and the bag. And there's some common items in the bag, but very prominently... There's dentures and a can of spam. And that's that's just fantastic. I love that little shot. And of course, Zach says, he's like, you moved and kicks him out. But then it takes it even further when she hangs at the phone and she's like, oh, what am I going to do? It cuts to her looking at a guy just smiling like the biggest shit eating grin on his face just pulls a gun out of his jacket. Yep. It's just like showing it to her. And it, it cuts to that like two or three times in that one scene. And it's hilarious. Yep. yep. Yeah, that's that's the sort of stuff that like it makes it relatable. It makes it every again anybody can relate to it, and I that's another thing too that it's in both this and the remake is that what's with the whole idea of the city being essentially like a Gotham, where like they treat this city as if it's just the scourge of the earth, and I get that in the '87 film. But even in the remake, like I think the remake was filmed in British Columbia, and it's the most Disney World looking city you've ever seen. Like everything is glowing. There's not a piece of trash anywhere on the city streets. But I find it fascinating because I don't know what city is it supposed to take place in the 1987 film? Chicago. Okay, I should have figured that. You're absolutely right. They play it up hard in the movie. You know, like everybody they meet, you know, like from the um the the tow truck guy you know you went on the express ray without a spare you can't get caught out here to the chop shop dude who jacks the car he's like i'm not letting you out in this neighborhood type of thing like and then of course you know like i said we get the um the the two gangs fighting on the train and it's like the warriors you know they're really making it like this dystopian kind of setting and and then it, it also comes up the contrast where you know chris is always like we're from the suburbs and that's that's supposed to mean something you know i, I guess maybe they 
I don't know about Chicago, but the movie's just trying to play on like the the clear separation of those two maybe lifestyles or, guess, or living yeah. arrangements. Yeah, I get it. Um, but that's that's weird. Much like how I said before, like you wouldn't be allowed to do this today. It's so odd that the remake plays up that angle. Not mm. not that the city is violent, but the fact that like it's inappropriate for kids to sit there be in the city after like four p.m. Okay, sure. That, yeah, that I wouldn't have expected that at all. Hmm. Yeah, it's weird because it is the most like there's like there is one illicit element. It's not even illicit. It's illicit relative to the rest of the film. Uh, because again, folks, Rob's the one with the affinity for this film, or at least the personal connection to it. I have to look at it solely as just a movie, and that's why I keep like juxtaposing it to the remake. Sure, um, that's my angle here. I don't have that that deep seated like analysis that he's been sitting on for what twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, like because the the one of the plot threads is instead of them being chased by a bunch of gangsters for a Playboy magazine. They're being chased by two kind of just like two bit criminals because one of the main protagonists has a f- camera and she takes pictures of everything. And we're we're shown earlier in the film that the two bit criminals have stolen a sapphire ferret. Is that is that like a type of ferret or a ferret made okay. out of sapphires? <laughs> I, I'm glad you asked because imagine a white ferret and somebody took some blue Sharpie and just painted all over it. Oh, <laughs> not even bedazzled, just colored, <laughs> just colored. Like it looks like somebody colored like a, a poor animal with a marker. That's what it looks like. Ooh. Um, I don't think there's anything such, such creature as a ferret. That's part blue, but who okay. knows? Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I think there's like an American, like a humane society stamp at the end of the movie. I'm like, eh, of course, <laughs> eh, I don't know if I buy that. Um, and the plot is, is that one of the girls takes a picture of one of the criminals holding this said stolen ferret. And so the, the criminals are after her camera, the entire film. Oh, okay. and that's, and that's the element of the criminals coming after them beyond just the normal thing of just shenanigans ensue. So are they like taking care of this animal? Do they know they have it with them? They like don't the have ca- the animal. They don't have the no. What happens is okay. This is okay. The plot of the 2016 movie is like all over the place. Um, I know Rob described the 1987 version is like oh it has like, like a general story. There's a bunch of vignettes that connect the overall larger plot together. Yeah, gotta gotta get Brenda. Yep. The plot of this is so overly convoluted. Okay. Um, we have two protagonist i i'm gonna call them by their actor names because i know their names as actors i don't care what their characters names are we have sabrina carpenter and sophia carson sabrina carpenter was like i don't know if she was a failed disney experiment um she was she she showed up in the girl meets world boy meets world reboot Okay. As the best friend. It was weird because I remember when that started Girl Meets World. I remember a lot of people like telling me about it. So I started watching it and Corey and Topanga's daughter is in it, but she's like the least interesting character. And she's essentially supposed to be the Corey of the, the, the revival. Okay. But her best friend is Sabrina Carpenter and Sabrina Carpenter is like, she's, she's perfect Disney channel star, 
blonde hair, like uh, uh, the the brown, the dyed. She also has. Well, okay, I'm sorry. She has like the blonde hair that's clearly been dyed, but the really thick, dark brown eyebrows, which were really okay. popular. You remember that was like popular with women a few years ago. That was like, a really big thing to have the bleach oh, yeah. blonde hair and the dark brown eyebrows. Um, and she was always like, why would I didn't watch the lot because I never thought it was interesting, but why I had time to kill or something is background noise. She was always the most interesting character because they wrote her that way. Mm-hmm. And I think it was it became clear to them this this Sabrina Carpenter was their star, not not the, the the daughter character sure and um sophia carson i don't know when exactly she got started but she's part of disney's Descendants series and that's okay. the one where it's all the, the the descendants of the disney villains like i think there's the descendant of uh a maleficent of captain hook of uh I don't know. All the different Disney villains have kids, and it's like, oh, what would happen if they had kids and they all went to high school together? I've um, never I, heard of this. They made three of them. I don't they think made I three like of it. Them. They made three of them, Rob. There's three of them. <laughs> Tune in next month. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's how I think Sophia Carson got started. So, like, they're both like, they're part of the Disney Channel thing of like, okay, we're gonna make a star out of you. Uh, okay, okay. They're both those type of actors. So when this was was released in June, I think of 2016, they were both kind of like, I think Sabrina Carpenter was kind of on her way out because I think Girl Girl Meets World was canceled or was about to be canceled, mm-hmm. and uh, Sophia Carson was just getting started. So as you watch the film, the plot of it is is that Sabrina Carpenter, and I should say that she's like five foot, and like I said, blonde, dark brown eyebrows, and Sophia Carson is more. I don't want to call for Disney. She's a little bit out there because I think she's so she's she's Latina, so she's like she's she's taller. She's got to be at least five eight or so, and much you could tell that she's not. Your normal like Selena Gomez or Miley Cyrus or Lizzie McGuire, whereas that's what Sabrina Carpenter is. And so you watch this, and Sabrina Carpenter's it's it's very much an odd couple story. Sabrina Carpenter is like the tight, like the really like bound together, like nervous energy, like overachiever. And Sophia Carson's the laid back, like I'm just gonna go with the flow and let society tell me, like I'm just gonna go with the flow. Mm-hmm. And so they both are applying for a photography internship and they run into each other at the organization where they're both applying for the internship and they in just at this meeting they they drop their phones and they swap phones oh god and that was that was the first thing i read about this uh, remake and i was like oh no they're gonna update it for the modern era and i don't want that ever (laughs) yeah they do that and but because so uh sabrina carpenter her character is supposed to be babysitting that night. And so somebody calls her on her cell phone very early in the film. It's like, oh, Sabrina, can you can you babysit? She's like, no, I'm babysitting for another family. Mm-hmm. But once they swap phones, Sophia Carson gets the phone call. And right at right before she got the phone call, she got a a ticket, a uh, a ticket for parking like in a legal space and so she needs money so she agrees she says oh i'll do the babysitting gig despite the fact the parents have no idea that the voice sounds completely different <laughs> and she and she goes so she comes to their house and it's like oh uh sabrina carpenter recommended me i'm here and obviously all sorts of shenanigans ensue sabrina carpenter finds out the phones have been switched goes to the other house and that's where it's like, oh, like, like I think one, because instead of it being a boy and a girl, 
and like their their doofus friend, mm-hmm. they had to take care of like five kids. Because oh. they because they both have their own like families like like kids to babysit, so there's five kids that all get their own like little time. So like it's a film literally spread out amongst like eight characters. Because I didn't even mention that on top of our two female protagonists, we have love interest Sophia Carson at the time of this when this film was made or released, I think was like twenty five or no, okay. twenty th- twenty three. Sabrina Carpenter was like 19 or maybe not even yeah or no she was no she was like 15 or 16 oh wow okay and yet everybody all the guys okay this is and why, and why I use this term boink I don't mean it like in a sexually explicit way it's just that like every male character in the film's attention is on the 15 year old and not the 19 year old and mm. I find that so kind of like implicitly icky sure I'm like, what? Why? Because Sabrina Carpenter at the time of release, I think, was 16 or 17 when this was released, and so when it was made, she was either 15 or 16. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's at least two people in the movie that want her, whereas we have the 19 year old, clearly more voluptuous woman, and she has like one plot thread with like a cop as a love interest. What? <laughs> And that's and you sounds have, insane. You have all this going on. Like so you literally have a 90-minute Disney Channel film, and you essentially have seven main characters and two side characters, never mind both the parents of these kids that are off doing their own thing. So it's it's so all over the place. Like there like there's so many like plot threads that just get like introduced, get like abandoned, and then picked up out of nowhere because someone's like, oh crap, we forgot to like like connect this all right quick let's let's just connect this even though it comes out of nowhere this resolution comes out of nowhere and it really wasn't justified in any way because it's weird because out of the five kids we have each of the five kids has their own little weird like idiosyncratic work like quirks about them sure like what <laughs> in their in their uh, in the writer's like mad attempt to make them distinct characters <laughs> yeah exactly like we have one of the little girls is Wants to be like a roller derby star. So the okay. entire movie she's on roller skates. Then we have the we have the I think it's I'm trying to think. The older we have another little girl that wants to be a diva. Like she loves wearing her mother's <laughs> like one of a kind diamond earrings and she wears a tiara throughout the film. So she's like the the diva prissy one. Okay. Then we have the the Okay, then we have another female, another a girl, but she's like more of like tween age. She's like eleven or twelve, and she's angsty and wants to do her own thing. So at one point, we're introduced to her. She has a pair of like uh, uh, electric trimmer. She's trying to shave all of her hair off. Oh, okay. <laughs> As you're describing this, it makes me think that. They have taken inspiration from the members of Huckapoo. Remember how they each yes. had their individual quirks? Gro- <laughs> like Groovy Tuesday. Groovy yeah. Tuesday. Um, then we have the boy characters where we have a a boy and he's really big into the culinary arts because we're introduced to him in the kitchen. He's trying to create cupcakes for a competition he's in, but he wants innovative ingredients. 
Then we have probably the most quote-unquote normal character in the film. We have the other boy they're taking care of, and he's kind of the catalyst as to why they have to venture into the big evil city, is that there's a concert in, in the city, and he sneaks out to buy tickets from a pawn shop, and that's where the two big criminals are. Oh, okay, okay. And then at one point, the edgy girl, right before they leave the house, we see her doing something to her hair, and like right before they leave the house, she puts on like and I'm not even joking. She's putting on like a spiked beanie. <laughs> I'm not like joking. The, like there's like uh, it, it's not like a uh, mo like a fake mohawk, but like the spikes like what like Darth Maul spikes or something. Like you know those like belts you can get with like the uh, the oh god like the belt or the wristbands with the spikes in them. Oh yeah, with like the silver studs that are point like round pointy. Yeah, type of thing. yeah, okay, yeah. okay. She has a beanie with those on them, and we see her right before they leave the house. Her like putting it on like really quick. How and do you like, wash oh. one of those things? <laughs> I, 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 uh, That'd be so hot if you tried to dry it. Uh, air <laughs> right? dry only. Air dry only, Rob. <laughs> um, and we see her like run out of the house at the end with them as they're all getting into the car. And it's like, oh, what'd she do? And then, like, I, I that's the problem. Like, no character gets focused on any sort of meaningful way. Like, they all get their little like ten seconds to shine, and that's mm -hmm. it. But like at one point, like the little diva girl is showing like because because that's the weird thing too is that, like our two main characters, Sabrina brought uh, Sabrina Carpenter, who's the younger one in real life. She's supposed to be like 17, 18 in this. She's playing okay. a high school junior. Sure. And again, she's very, very like everything has to be prepared for college. She's planning out her entire life like in her teenage years. And then Sophia Carson's 19, which is strange for it's very rare in a Disney Channel movie to have a character that's beyond adulthood. Like okay. or, or has reached the point of adulthood. Like that's that's such an odd thing. They never do that. And you have her and at one point, the little diva girl who's like seven is teaching them how to like put earrings on and to like apply makeup. Okay. And I find that fascinating that a seven-year-old girl is teaching teenagers and not even like <laughs> young teenagers, but like older teenagers, like one that's on like is an adult, how to put like makeup on and jewelry. Like I'm like, what? Yeah, that is that's backwards, strange and backwards. <laughs> Except for the fact that like you have the diva girl and you have to give her something to do. Fair, fair. And that's and the that, problem. That was, just, that was the first draft of what they came up with. Exactly. And it's like, okay, that's what it feels like. It feels like it was the first draft. It doesn't matter. The audience for these movies is going to eat it up regardless if it's any good or not. And it's not even bad. It's just, it's disposable. Um, You watch it for like a, like a Disney channel puts it on like ad nauseum for a weekend. And mm. the next one comes out like a month later. And it's like, okay, next. Fair, fair. And that's pretty much the plot. There's a little like there's vignettes, but they're not really interesting. Like one, again, going back to the girl with the 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 hair. At one point, they're in a police station because one of the girls, the uh, the older girl, gets arrested for scalping concert tickets. <laughs> oh um, my that's god, a, that's a weird thing too that happens. This I'm I'm shocked they use the word scalping. Like I, I they said that they're like because at one point they're like, isn't scalping illegal? And I'm like, you're you're allowed to use that word on the Disney Channel. Yeah. Like, like like honestly, that alone would have been like, like I would imagine someone had the black sharpies out. I'm like nope, think yeah. another another word for it. Can't use that word. But no, so you have that, and so she gets arrested. And they're in the police station, and Sabrina Carpenter goes up to the woman with the beanies on, and it's like, "Oh, like, what? Wh why do you have this thing on?" And she rips it off, and she dyed her hair green. Oh, so she didn't even shave it? 
No. Like they it's were not, setting up? Oh, God. And it's like, A, you completely did, like, a weird, like, a twist. Yep. And two, how'd she dye her hair in the span of, like, 15 minutes? Yeah. Yeah, wouldn't it? Doesn't that this? I mean, I never dyed my hair, but doesn't have to, like, set? Like, can't? I can't imagine you can dye your hair and then just throw a hat on. Like, wouldn't the hat start to turn green? Something like that. And it's not even completely dye. It's, like, green highlights. Oh, jeez. And it's the weirdest thing. Because then, like, Sabrina Carpenter goes off on the girl. And it's like, what's wrong with you? Why would you do this? How, are you, how am I going to explain this to your parents? And I'm like, how is this your fault? The girl's in the bathroom. Yeah. Like, again, it's a weird thing to do. And the girl gets mad. Um, the older one's like, can I go? Like, like I'm going out. She's because she's the laid back. Which like, fine, do whatever you want. She goes to a tattoo parlor and gets a <laughs> tattoo. Oh my god! And I, I know there's like, there's a line of dialogue where it's like something. I, I don't know if they say is that real. And I, I think one of them is like, is that real? And I think like the girl goes, of course not. And I'm like, since when do tattoo parlors offer tattoos? That are like like the the rub off kind. Yeah, and yeah. on top of that, would do that to an un, uh, to a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that if, is you lose your license that way. Yep. <laughs> if you walk, if a child walks into a tattoo parlor without an adult, the first thing they're going to do is like, okay, wait here, we're going to call the police. <laughs> and if they don't do <laughs> yeah. that, like Rob said, they're getting shut down. Yep. Yep. That's why you should get your tattoos in people's bedrooms, just like <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so like you have stuff like that. Like the culinary kid story goes nowhere. Um, the older boy who sneaks out, his story goes nowhere. And um and everybody and it's weird, everybody wants to doink the 15-year-old girl. She eventually gets the guy she wants. Um once again, I it's weird. Like because they, they go to a like the only part of the movie that's actually that feels like it has any substance to it, because I think I said one of the girls has the camera. And the camera's like her life all throughout. That's nothing to bug me about the film. All throughout the film, she's taking pictures of people. She's taking snapshots. Yeah. And and she takes. We see her take a picture of the events unfolding. Then we cut to a snapshot, like kind of like a snapshot effect of like, oh, this is the picture she took, breaking the continuity of the film. But every time they do that, the snapshot they show isn't a still of the film. It's a shot we've never seen before at an angle that the camera's not at. <laughs> so oh god so she'll be like with the camera in front of like one of the characters taking a picture and then it'll like it'll be like it will see her go uh uh oh god uh whatever oh god what's the film the sound the camera makes like snap we, snap oh sure whatever. yeah snap um, click, whatever click yeah snap click whatever and we'll go ching and, we'll, and, the, and the thing will go to like a, I don't want to say a Polaroid but a picture And it's at an angle that she wasn't Standing at when she took the picture like the characters Are like with their back toward the camera Or they're in poses that we never <laughs> saw Them in and I'm like You couldn't just take a, a frame Yeah You had to make it harder for yourself Like It's so <laughs> odd but Definitely. the only part The only part that's touching though is that uh, Sabrina Carpenter there's a guy that's Introduced to her it's introduced liking her very early in the film. She almost runs him over in the first five minutes of the movie. It's 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 the movie has its parts where it's funny. Like it's not consistently funny, but mm-hmm. there are parts where it's like, oh, she almost ran someone over with her car. Like that's kind of funny in a Disney Channel movie. Um, but so when they swap phones, the other one kind of blows him off. So eventually, toward the end of the film, where they kind of reconcile and they they all become friends. They're like, oh, like I'm so sorry for making like like blowing off like your would be boyfriend. Like I have to fix this. 
So they go to the concert, and there's like the bouncer, whoever the guard, the security guards there. And they're like, and she's like, oh, my, like the one girl's like, oh, like my friend needs to get in there. Like, what can I do to get her in? And it's like no tickets, no entrance. And it's not explained that they were scalping the tickets. They had <laughs> tickets to the event, but it just okay. disappears. It disappears out of nowhere. Okay. Like they had tickets to get in, but it just disappear. And so the the girl at the camera was like, what can I do to get my friend in? And and impossible. Like it's so weird. Like if this was. The 1987 version, this would have been different. He looks at her, and it's like, your camera looks awfully attractive. And I'm like, <laughs> It's like, I, I clearly, you're looking at a very attractive woman who's like right on the edge of like, again, like 18, 19. And, and he looks at her camera, he's like, that look, like your camera looks attractive. And I'm like, there, there was a better way to phrase that. It's like, oh, you, yeah. just, you, you get an icky vibe, because I should say that too, um, how they shoot the underage girl? They shoot her very flat. Like you never, she's she's wearing like multiple layers. You never get any other than like just like from the neck up. You get no sense of her like femininity. Okay. Where the other one, like she is wearing the tightest, God. tightest blue jeans, and they shoot her from like like the ground up a couple of times, and it's like. There shouldn't be there shouldn't be ass shots in a Disney movie, yeah. like like it's not Ted Bundy level. Like don't get me wrong, it's not that level. Sure. But like I shouldn't be like I, at no point in a Disney Channel movie should I be looking at one of the main characters' butts. I I would and, agree, and, and we and we linger on it a couple of times. A couple like it's never gratuitous, but it ling- the camera lingers. Like it should, like the the camera angle should never have been like. Composed from those sort of angles in this sort that's, of movie. That's just crazy. And all as you were saying it in this last bit, it's just hitting me. So I I I get I'm assuming, I mean, that the movie, the remake, plays it off as they switch phones because they have the same phone. Are yes. these smart are these smartphones? Yes. Okay, so how do you not realize that? So I get that they have the same phone, but then they would have to have the same password. I'll give them that. They might not have passwords. But they Neither have have one the same, has passwords. They have to have the same background, the same app layout. Like, what if I had, if I picked up someone's phone that was say identical to mine in look, I would open it, and I'd be like, "This is not my phone." Immediately, I wouldn't be like, "Oh, the background and the layout of the apps just changed, and there's apps well, I've never downloaded." To get okay, as a way to set off the plot, I don't um, uh, blame them because what happens is they're meeting the like the executive of the photography company, whatever it is. Okay. The, the photography studio, and like uh, the 19-year-old like throw has like a milkshake or a smoothie and like drops it. And so they both like drop their phones at the same time as like the photographer artist is coming over. So they quickly just like grab their phones and like shove them into their bags. Okay. And it's not until once they're out and they're like in their own respective, like away from each other, they realize they have different phones. Okay. So it is realized at some point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, do, it's, they, but, do they just call the other one and say, Hey, we switched phones at that point. I think what happens is I for, actually, I kind of forget how they come to the real estate. I think cause the, the neurotic one obviously realizes it first and wants to fix it and ends up at the other person's house. Cause I think okay. what, oh, that's what it is, is that very early when the, the, the older one is at is babysitting the culinary kid, like sets the kitchen on fire okay. and the phone starts ringing. And one of the kids picks it up and it's like, hello. And she's like, oh my God, it's like, um, uh, whatever the kid's name is, like, like Julie, Julie, 
Wait, why are you picking up my phone? Oh, Lola, Lola's here. She's babysitting us because you recommended, like, she was recommended by you. Mm-hmm. And oh, quick, I'm like, I'm gonna come over real quick. And she brings the other two kids with her, and that's how they they realize what like, not realize, but like, they, that's how they meet. Okay, or how okay. they how they're reintroduced. But then at one point, like the the girl with the um the tattoo and the 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 the, the dyed hair gets upset that the the neurotic one is like like chewing her out so she literally calls the parents and is like we're at a police station we're like in imminent danger come get me immediately <laughs> and the and the parents like the father's like oh my god what are we gonna do the mother's like f it all it's a joke oh god it's it's strange like it's 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 not strange in the context of like disney channel movie world but it's strange in the context of like like reality, like there's like if one of your if you're out like at some event and one of your kids calls and it's like oh we're at a PlayStation like I'm scared come pick me up, mm-hmm. there's no parent that's not dropping what they're doing. It's like okay we have to leave now. Yeah, and the yeah, fact I, that the mother the mother blows it off and the father like drags the mother to the PlayStation and once they <laughs> get there, like, the kids have already left the PlayStation by that point in the plot, but they get to the PlayStation and like the sergeant just laughs in their face. They're like you're so stupid. And the, and, the, and the wife gets mad at the husband. Like, see, we're wasting our night. That is, oh, it's weird. This is it's like, weird. As you're it's explaining we- this to me, it's like Dragon Blade status. I am so confused. Yes. Because it did, like, nothing seems to jive, especially with the one girl blows off the other girl's could be boyfriend. Yes. Like, how do you not realize that's not your phone and type of thing? Like, I'm, I'm so, I'm so confused. I'm glad yeah, you it, watched it, Zach. It's, it's, one of us there's a million plot threads at any given time, which is like it's so unnecessarily convoluted. Because I know what my snack's going to be based on the uh, the remake. <laughs> okay, um, but yeah, it's it's unnecessarily convoluted. A bunch of stuff happens that like I know Rob and I disagree ever since Sophia the First and like how to raise children. But there's there's a moment where like they steal from one of the parents' wallets to get out of trouble, like to get money because obviously the, the car gets um towed the card sure. they use to get into the city and they need money and how they get the money is they, they're like oh in my mother's like fancy like co- like overcoat pocket she has a hundred dollars in case of emergencies so they sneak into the event and they steal money from like the mother's like purse and nothing happens at no point is ever brought, the mother's like wait where'd my money go like it's never brought up so it's like okay kids if you ever have a problem just steal money from your parents and all problems will be solved <laughs> and i find that so strange like yeah that's not especially yeah i find that so odd that like nobody thought that was gonna be a problem like yes i get it there's a lot of weird shenanigans in this but that's like the one that most kids can relate to like oh you have yeah. a money problem just take money out of your mother's purse or your father's wallet Nothing bad will happen. Everything will be solved if you do that. And that's essentially what happens. And I'm like, that's ooh. it's like I I I don't feel comfortable. Like that's and then but again, going back to even the thing with the girl with the camera, like like the bouncer looks at her and she hands over the camera. Like it's like at one point it's established early in the film that like, oh, she's like, this is my prized possession. Like I like I won this in a contest. This camera's my life. This is my like this camera is my ticket to a future. And because this is the girl that's like 19 years old, and mm-hmm. it's like okay, like there's some pretty good character development. It's like okay, this girl is very much like hippy dippy. Like she drives a blue jeep that's like all like hand painted, and her her like her headlights have like little eyelash things on them. 
Oh God. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, I, make, I make fun of the person who, I don't know who it is, but there's someone in my apartment complex that does the deer antlers on and the red oh. nose on their car. And I'm always like, my friends and I laugh at their car. <laughs> it's the people with the minion. I, I, they aren't parked near the minion, so it oh. might be somebody else, but that, that is, that's been the joke. Okay. <laughs> that, that they just put up inflatable minions around the whole apartment complex and then let them deflate when Christmas actually fucking happens. <laughs> <laughs> that's the follow-up folks it's only like what a month a month and a half after christmas that we finally got follow-up to the uh the christmas yeah. minion story yeah it's it's blowing like they got the fan on blowing it up constantly before fucking halloween and then for the month of december it's deflated and laying there it made no sense <laughs> and, I, and i didn't even slash it i think they just turned it off <laughs> that's delightful that's uh that's the only appropriate way in that story um, but no, so like the camera is built up as this big thing for her. And like we find out too that the reason why she wanted this um like photography internship is like okay, like she's like, I did a horrible job in college in high school. I really let like my life fall apart. That's why I've kind of been just kind of this like, oh god, uh untethered like sales ship just like floating around. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, because like she feels bad about making the girl lose her would-be boyfriend, she's like so the, like the bouncer's like, I like your cameras, like he rubs his belly button. <laughs> and, and she hands over the camera. She takes the memory card out, but like she hands over the camera. And I'm like, oh, how are they going to resolve this? Yeah. Because because it's, like, it's so like what the people use nowadays, it's like insanely problematic for all these reasons. Because like, A, a idea of a young woman having to giving up her livelihood to a man for entrance, that alone is just a that's a no-no with a capital N. Yep. And then on top of that, like in narrative terms, it doesn't make sense. Like, like for a a guy that could be your boyfriend like that seems like a huge trade-off because even the the younger characters like don't do it like like it's not worth it mm-hmm. but i get it they're trying to show friendship camaraderie whatever um and they get in and the guy who thinks he was blown off like sees the, the younger girl and is like oh like i'm not mad at you like I, I thought like you didn't want any parts of me though but it's not anything we couldn't have like worked past eventually sure and i'm like so giving up the camera was a was a complete loss then like you completely rob that moment of its dramatic stakes. Okay. Oh God. Yeah, like, that, that makes no sense. Because it's like, oh, like if you were gonna overcome this anyway, like, like if you didn't take what she said seriously anyway, what was like the camera didn't you could just wait for him the next day at school. Yeah. Yeah. Aren't nope. they, they're gonna see nope. each other again? Oh my yep. god. <laughs> but the only thing and the weird thing is that the character never gets her camera back. Okay, that was going to be my next question. Is that ever resolved? And it's it's just, never, oh, it's geez. never resolved. And the weird, but the only thing where it's it's kind of indirectly resolved is at the very end of the film. They're both at like the photography studio because they mm-hmm. both were going to have like a meeting like that Monday, and and, and it's the stupid juxtaposition. I hate it. It's that classic Disney nonsense where like at the beginning of the film, like I said, the one character, the the neurotic one is like wearing like multiple layers. Like she has like a plaid, like she has like an undershirt, a plaid button up, a vest, and like an overcoat. Like the hair is perfectly, perfectly um manicured. And the other one, like I said, it's like a tight pair of blue jeans, a tank top, and a sweater. And that's essentially like her outfits. And then at the end of the film, we see them, and the one that was neurotic is wearing like the like flowery blouse with like blue jeans, and the other one's wearing like the overcoat with like the khakis. And I'm like, oh, I get it. They rubbed <laughs> off on each other. They they're both they're no longer where they they were at the beginning of the film. 
it's just I get it. This is like entertainment meant for like eight year old girls. Like I, I don't expect much from it, but it's so like as I was watching it, I kept trying to figure out who was this made for. Yes, and. That, and I, I don't mean to rob the 1987 film as the focus of this conversation, but it's like you're remaking Adventures in Babysitting almost 30 years later. Yeah. Nobody watching Disney Channel in 2016 has any idea what this movie is. That That's the thing that, you know, once I first found out there was a remake, that's what kind of confused me because it was like this movie doesn't seem like it warrants a remake other than you know it's it's a dusty property with a capital d and they think they can pull something from it and i guess now that you've described so much of it to me my question is is it a remake in name only because it seems like there's nothing taken from the original movie other than it's a babysitter or babysitting is involved in some way and the title it's it pulls from the plot loosely in that it's like okay they have to go into the city shenanigans ensue all that sort of stuff Okay. Um, it's the idea of like kind of just like kids being like like uh, oh god, like I said, it's just shenanigans in the city. That's essentially what it is. you could probably even call that its own genre. Sure. And yeah, it's that. But that's like there are some elements, like you said, you have them instead of them going to like the blues club, you have them at like a rap concert, and they go out on stage and they have to rap, and, and it's very mm-hmm. similar. Um, yeah, you have a you have an award ceremony or some event that the parents or at the kids have to sneak into for X, like Y, a, and Z reasons. Like a black tie event type of yes. thing. Yes. Okay. And, okay. and the whole time they have to kind of just avoid the parents to make sure they're not caught. Um. Yeah. There's there's elements like clearly they were aware of this. this isn't like one of those ones where it's 100 percent removed. But it's like uh, it's in the same vein as like how Freaky Friday was the Jodie Foster movie, like, what, in the 70s? Yeah. And then they remade it with Jamie Lee Curtis. And then, like, a couple years ago, they remade it again (laughs) as a Disney Channel original movie, which at this point, the original movie's been remade twice now. Okay, my my immediate question for you, Zach, is when do we get a Disney Channel original movie remake of A Star is Born? Because that this seems like where remakes go to die. They get picked up by Disney Channel original movies, and clearly, we need another A Star Is Born, right? That'd be that'd be great. <laughs> that'd be great. I'd love with it. With the suicide and everything. <laughs> oh, with the suicide, and we have Bradley Cooper slurring his words, and Sam Elliott punching him in the face. And we have a, I'm off the deep end. Watch <laughs> as I dive in. I'll never make the ground. Um, we're far from the shallow, Rob. We are in, we are in very full, far from the shallow. With a full teenager chorus behind it. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> <sighs> so so I'm glad I'm glad I got that information. I'm pretty confident now there's like a one percent chance I'll ever watch the remake. <laughs> I think you should. I if you do love the nineteen eighty seven film, I, I think you have to watch it okay. just so you can say you watched it. Like again, morbid curiosity being the framework. Yes, yes. But but with all those characters you described, which is, uh, like, mind-blowing to me that they stretched it so thin, you know, contrast that to the original, the 1987, you have Chris, who's just, you know, has to get her friend and is upset about her boyfriend canceling on her. You have guy that wants to look, you know, tough or manly for Chris to get her to fall in love with him, or kid, you know. You have a little girl who loves Thor and likes adventure, and then you have horny teenager. And that's it. That's all you need, you know? It, it's like I, that's part of what I was saying at the beginning. That's why I love this kind of structure of storytelling. 
it's not really about our main characters. You need a small group of them, one or more people, you know, from like Straight Story with Alvin and and this movie with our group of four. And then let the world influence them. Let this the events of the evening or the events of the tale actually weigh in on them. And that's how it works. If you stretch it to seven or eight characters and they all have their little bit of business, you're not letting anything breathe. And it sounds like that's the same thing. You know, there's there's vignettes, as we described in the original Adventures in Babysitting, but they all have their time to fill out. Like, I, I never feel like, oh, we don't spend enough time with the home, with the with the trucker, the um, uh, handsome Pruitt and the, the tow truck dude. Like, I he's not in a lot of the movie, but you get, you know, his motivation. You get him trying to help them. And it all has room to breathe. It seems like with seven or eight characters, Zach's telling me, oh, she goes and gets a tattoo and she dyes her hair. And this one's doing photography. This one's at the club. And it's just like, there's so much going on. Nothing's going to gel or nothing's going to feel satisfying. Well, I think that's a difference. It's like one movie is a film. The other one's a product. Oh, yes. That's a great way to put it. That's a, a great distinction in this day and age. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Because, again, nothing's given time to breathe. It's just we just keep moving on. There's, it's kind of like that complaint that Disney got into a few years ago with the prom movie they made. They made like the, the I think it came out like in 2011. And it was like, oh, Disney's prom. And it's like all these kids, like, I think it's like three or like three groups of people, like all like different like social cliques going through like prom night and all this. Mm-hmm. And the joke was that like it, it being a Disney movie, there's no sex involved. And it's like, yeah. how do you make a prom movie where sex plays no role in anything that goes on? <laughs> That's like a uh, like a Christian abstinence video. If you just That's- describe that to me, that's what I would say it is. Not a Disney movie. That's essentially that's what it is. And it's like, who is this for? Like, it's not reality. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. not reality, like, unless you are going to, like, maybe, like, the private Baptist school where it's like, okay, where well, that is something that's so sanitized from people's minds. But even then, most of the – I remember even my mother telling me that when, like, I used to go to the private schools in Florida and she used to, like, uh, substitute, like, the middle school and high school kids. They all had the purity rings. And they all used to giggle and laugh when they put them on. Because <laughs> okay. it was all like it's like oh I'm putting a purity ring on and elbow each other be like yeah purity ring hardy har har so but yeah I, I feel like Adventures in Babysitting 2016 is that like extension of that like mm-hmm. whereas like that's the weird thing too is that like the 1987 film isn't like nobody is like it's weird like how old is Chris supposed to be in uh, that how old is Elizabeth Shue supposed to be in that film so they say that she is a senior in high school. So what's that? Seventeen or eighteen? Seventeen or eighteen, and that's so weird that like in the Disney movie, we have a nineteen-year-old character. Yeah, and you and I feel it's weird to have like because again, it's supposed to be a coming-of-age story, and I get it too. It's also two women bonding, but she's nineteen years old. <laughs> yeah, you're like the Dis- Disney Channel's like prime demo. Is girls and again, they, they want boys to some capacity, but for the most part, it's like girls ages six to like fourteen, mm-hmm. and you have a nineteen-year-old character. Yeah, that is that is strange. Yeah, I never would have thought of it that way, but that is yeah, definitely seems weird for a Disney movie. I know we had some concerns in Pixel Perfect with like how old is Roscoe? You know, why is he able to drive on his own type of thing? But that wasn't like a highlight of the movie. It seems like in this one, that age difference is is more pronounced. And it's so weird because you don't need that. You could very easily, because Sabrina Carpenter is supposed to be a junior, and you could very easily make the other one a senior, being like, okay, yeah. like my grades aren't aren't very good, but I'm going to sit there. And they don't. 
And I, maybe it's a thing with the, with the age because I know once like uh, Sophia Carson's like seven. Oh God, I think like six or seven years older than the other one. So maybe they feel that she wouldn't be convincing as a seventeen year old. But okay. as I'm watching this, I, I very easily bought the fifteen year old girls as, seven, as seventeen. Yeah, I don't know why I couldn't buy a twenty three year old seventeen year old. It's like it's Disney. Just tell me what you want me to believe. Yeah, that's the other thing I was about to say. Like it's it's on Disney for kids, like the age range Zach already described. You could give them almost anything. You know, they're not critiquing these things in in any way, shape, or form like we are. <laughs> so and I it, think. It, it's like, why? Why do that, you know? And I think that's where it comes down to. It's like, okay, six to 14-year-old girls will recognize Sophia Carson. They're not going to care about how old she is. They're not going to care about what angle they're shooting, like, shooting her from. I guess my other question about the remake is, are there any returning cast members? I, I, did, I was kind of expecting Elizabeth Shue or one of the kids to be the parents. Bradley Whitford. <laughs> so, well, maybe. Like, he, I don't know. Maybe he's As like one a, of the, like, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, an older one, you know, as a cameo as one of the parents, as we've talked about with, like, other soft reboots and stuff. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't think, okay. I, I, I don't think that, that's the weird thing about this, I don't know who they're making it for. I, I, what, why call this Adventures in Babysitting? Because nobody who this is designed to uh, watch it, yeah. or intended to watch it, that means nothing to them. Yeah, that 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 is such a strange aspect of this. Like, like you could want, no one would want this. And this you, this was I don't think we even mentioned this was advertised and is the 100th Disney Channel original movie, right? So yeah. this was a big event for Disney Channel. At least you know, uh, I I would assume maybe they advertised it a little bit more than we advertised our hundredth episode last week. But one, it's not it's not an original movie. It's a remake, as we said. But then you're right to do this, something that people have almost completely forgotten about. That's insane. Yeah, I I I don't know. Like, and all honestly, you could call that the remake anything else. Yeah, and you can always just put a little credit, like in the credits, being like, oh, inspired by the script by Chris Columbus or whoever wrote the movie, mm-hmm. or but like you could very easily call this anything else. Yeah, and it seems like it would make a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I really don't know unless they figured. And that's why I mean, those like, it's kind of like I I I thought about it because I was thinking about Freaky Friday with Jamie Lee Curtis and comparing it to the like '70s version with uh, Jodie Foster, mm-hmm. and it makes sense to remake Freaky Friday in 2003 because and, and do it the way you did, like compared to like the, the TV movie with Jodie Foster because. Think about it. that movie came out. Okay, I gotta look that up real quick. Um, when did when did Freaky Friday? Freaky Friday. Okay, which Freaky Friday do I want? Do I want Freaky Friday 2018, 2003, or? <laughs> oh God! There's oh, 19. Whoa, 1995. There's another. There's another one. There's I'm, another one. There's another Freaky Friday. There can be only one. <laughs> All right, Rob. Much like a Star Is Born, we have Freaky Friday 1970. What year was that? Okay, Freaky Friday, nineteen seventy six. Mm-hmm. We have Freaky Friday, nineteen ninety five. Freaky Friday, two thousand three, and Freaky Friday, two thousand eighteen. Oh my god! So you're saying that we could do a whole month? Yes, yes. And do okay. So so we're so coming up. We're gonna do um, the Freaky Friday series, and then immediately followed by the A Star Is Born series. <laughs> Who's in the nineteen ninety five version? I didn't even know there was. A 1995 version. Shelley Long and Gabby Hoffman. Was this like a for ABC, TV? ABC okay, movie. Okay. Yeah, ABC movie of the week. 
oh my god, Disney, you really are bankrupt. I guess they've always. I, I guess it's nothing new with Disney. I guess they've always been creatively bankrupt. They've just been really good at hiding it at times. Um, <laughs> but but the point being though is that, like if you're remaking that for like a theatrical release mm-hmm. in 2003, it makes sense that why like you you do that like you call it Freaky Friday because you're trying to like you cast Lindsay Lohan. To get in that demographic yeah. of ages like girls six to fourteen, you cast Chad Michael Murray because you want the audience of girls like ages thirteen to like twenty five. Mm-hmm. You cast Jamie Lee Curtis so when the kids want to go, the parents don't feel duped. Yeah, exactly. You, and, and at that point, Mark Harmon was also in that, but he really—that was when that was like when his career was going through a renaissance. That's like the—it's funny okay. that movie came out like the same month I think as NCIS started. Strangely mm. enough, <laughs> um, one of those weird like moments. It's like wow, who would have thought that uh, in 2003 we'd still be talking about NCIS almost 20 years later? Yeah, but, yeah, but uh, I see what you're saying. Like, make it a family affair, you know? Yeah. Whereas yeah. Adventures in Babysitting on Disney Channel original movie. There's no, they're not trying to get an adult audience at all. Yeah, that that's kind of what I was thinking of. Maybe that's why they took the name because the parents of the now kids that are watching Disney Channel, maybe they would remember it and be like, "Oh, we got to see this." But, but even that seems like a stretch. And then, like you said, they don't add any of that adult there's, aspect. There's to- nothing in the like. Whereas two two guys who are 27 years old can watch Adventures in Babysitting 1987, and we can appreciate it. Hmm. Two 27-year-old guys watching the 2016 movie, there's nothing, other than, like, ironically laughing at it. Sure. There's nothing of substance for us to latch on to. Yeah, oh, okay. If anything, it makes us feel uncomfortable how they do certain, because even at one point, too, with the older character, she after she gets arrested for, she gets arrested, they actually say she gets arrested for scalping tickets. The the cop that gave her the ticket at the beginning of the film, he shows up and starts like lecturing her about how like how she could have gotten hurt scalping the tickets, like how she could have like someone could have tried mugging her or hurting her. And, it, and it's really out of place considering that it's such a zany movie. Like just five minutes earlier, we have two buffoons chasing a blue painted ferret, and then out of nowhere we get this PSA about if you start scalping tickets, people might try to hurt you physically. Like it comes out of nowhere, and then <laughs> and then like she starts like bearing her soul to the cop because of course the, the cop is like a pretty like 21 year old guy and she's like oh my god I'm so sorry officer I'm just I, I didn't mean to do it like I saw you earlier and you're just so cute and I couldn't get you out of your I get you out of my mind oh my and god. I'm like this is also icky too like telling yeah. a cop like in a police station when you're arrested telling a cop in an interrogation room is a 19 year old female you're attracted to them I'm like there's just something icky about that like i'm not saying yes. that, that doesn't happen like he's a he's a very don't be wrong he's a very handsome actor but like that, that that's such a weird and especially in today's society where everything has to be sanitized mm-hmm. it yeah. feels icky that's here yeah that's so strange for for this day and age or i guess 2016 at least and for disney absolutely yeah it's it's so weird like it's that's where it's worth watching it's like if you like, i would never tell like rob's like if i suggest this is my movie and I made Rob watch it. I, Rob would be like, Zach, no, I'm not watching a a, a stripped down version of, of, of a coming of age story. I, that, again, we'll get later into late night and cinematic status. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you are somebody who loves the 1987 film or has any sort of affinity or affection for it, I would say you'd have to watch the 2016 version and just kind of just watch it, just being kind of befuddled as to why they made a decision, as to how it exists. 
Sure, sure. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I might. How long is it? What, it's got 90 minutes, a little less, hopefully? Yeah, it's, it's 90 minutes. Okay, okay. And there's a post credit scene, Rob. Did you know there's a post credit scene in the 1987 version? What? Yeah, did you? What? Zach does not. I'm, I'm noticing Zach does not watch the entirety of all the credits, but the, the post credit scene of the 1987 version shows that the chop shop guy is still stuck on the roof of the associates building. Oh, really? Yeah, so the, it, that's it, where he's like oh, whimpering and he's still yeah. out there. Okay, okay, you saw that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, I forgot. Okay, no, I forgot when I, um, when I rewatched it today, I didn't get that far, but I know oh, okay. the first time. Yeah. I, come on, Rob. After the song stops, up, and then he kissed me. Come on, oh, Rob. After that, after that, I'm spent. Like, I'm emotionally <laughs> spent. I can't watch anymore. I got to take like a, like a 15 minute smoke break. Come on. A Hester Shaw break? A Hester Shaw break. <laughs> okay, so what's the post credit scene? Oh, wait, no, I think I answered my question. Does it involve the ferret? No. Oh, okay, that was my, gonna it, be my it guess. It makes the, the post credit scene literally, like, if I told it to you right now, you'd be like, what? And if, if you've watched the movie, you'd be just as confused as to how that's a post credit <laughs> it okay. makes it, it genuinely makes no sense. Okay, right on. Okay, now I know. So when I, if I ever do see it, I'll stick through. Okay, it adds nothing to the film, and it's all it's going to do is confuse you because it makes no sense as to how a the person that's looking at something how they even came across it, mm-hmm. and even if they did, they would have no idea what it means. It's it's such an out of context thing for them. It, it it makes zero sense. Okay, well I guess it making no sense fits in with the motif of everything else you described to me about this remake. So indeed. <laughs> Oh jeez! Oh god. Okay, so we got a remake. We don't know why. Um, another another mystery. Another cinemodities mystery. Another cinemodities mystery. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess. Um, I guess. Do we want to highlight some things from the original? And now that we've compared the two, um, because I think I want to go back to something you said earlier. Um, that this movie definitely is funny. Like, it's got good jokes, the 1987 version. I think from here on out, whenever we say this movie, we're, we're talking about the original, right? Yes, yes. Um, well, we'll mention but, the remake if we have to. Yes, but I, I think we need to talk about Thor because we need oh, to bust yeah. out, once again, the big red marker and the censorship for things that wouldn't fly anymore from this script. I think we've already said that the little girl that's being babysat, really the only one who's being babysat, you know, the guys kind of tag along when things go, they have to go get Brenda. But we've already established her thing is that she just loves Thor. She's dressed in like a very simplistic Thor costume for the entire movie. She has the helmet and she's carrying a hammer the whole time. She At the beginning of the movie, Brad learns that Chris is coming over, so he has to cover his zits, so he tries to get his clearasil but finds that his sister took it because she ran out of brown paint. And so she had to use Clearasil to finish another drawing of Thor. And her entire room is just decked out with Thor stuff. And so Brad realizes this and says something along the lines of, you wasted my Clearasil for another drawing of Thor? And she's like, yeah, Thor's great. He's my hero. And he says, Thor's a homo. So we just got canceled, right? <laughs> yeah, that that that's a no. That's a no no. Great. You wasted all my parasol on another picture of Thor. Thor's my hero. Thor's a homo. But we 
it, like I said before, it's something else that gets set up and paid off later in the movie. Because at the beginning, you know, he's like, Thor's a homo, Thor's a homo. And she's like, take it back, take it back. And then she gets the little girl, little sister gets the prank uh, on the brother because he doesn't know Chris is there. And she's like, if you don't take back what you said about Thor, I'm going to tell Chris about all those love poems. And, you know, you get uh, like a little, you know, kind of coming of age, you know, brother, sister, uh, little bit of romance type of joke. And it's fine. But when Vincent D'Onofrio throws up his, shows up as Thor later and the little girl knows that he's Thor, as the audience should as well. He's not Dawson from the garage. He's Thor in disguise. That he's the brother, what tries to take her back? Like, you know, don't talk to this man. We, we're trying to figure out how to get the car back. And she says something like, Oh, don't mind him. It isn't like you. He calls you a homo. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really good because we get to see Vincent D'Onofrio, you know, like pick Brad up or grab him by the shirt. And he's like, You spreading rumors about me, kid? And it adds more tension to that already tense scene. And it's really well done. What is she talking about? Um, Sorry, she thinks you're somebody else. It's him, Brad. It's really him. Look, it's Thor. Yeah, come on, let's go. Don't listen to him anyway. He said you were a homo. <laughs> you spreading rumors about me, kid? Oh, oh no. No, sir. But um, I, I guess, you know, now... I guess I think at least in 1987, nobody could have foreseen how big of an icon Thor would have been. Yep. And and you know this is just kind of fantastic to rewatch in the modern era. Not because he's called a homo. I'm not saying that. Just because they're making fun of a Marvel character. And I feel like, you know, a, a Disney film a, with the original would never do that. They wouldn't make fun of their own property. I think it's been a while since we've said it. But, you know, you can't make fun of Disney stuff these days, right? Nope. No, that's the part that's kind of fascinating. Like, I'd, I'd love to imagine that, like, when whoever wrote this, was it Chris, Chris Columbus? No, he didn't write this. It Davis, was um, David, David Simpkins, Simpkins, yep. I like to imagine they did that. It probably was just like, let's pick the most obscure Marvel character that no one will ever, yeah. ever think about. <laughs> and just make this this weird thing that this kid's into. And go figure. Yeah, all, yeah from, that's, from that's my all knowledge. That's you you know, from my knowledge, Thor was popular back in the day, but he was never one of the big comic no. book characters. It was really kind of in like I think the like the mid to late nineties when they started really pumping out like the animated shows and stuff for for all the sources that Thor became like a huge part. And I don't I couldn't even tell you the history of how they got him into the movies and, and stuff and decided to that be, you know, one of the tent poles of the franchise. But yeah, it, it blows my mind seeing it, you know, in the last few years where it's like, man. They are they are talking shit on one of the Avengers. <laughs> yeah, and, and oddly enough, that's probably one of the elements of this film that probably helps it resonate with people. Yeah. So I guess I should also ask: There's no Thor in the remake at all, right? Oh, of course not. Okay, they just grab. I know you said one of them's into roller skating, and they do. I guess maybe that could be something we think they grab from the original, because Sarah, the girl who's in love with Thor, does have the roller skates as a little bit of a plot point in the in the 1987 version. Yeah, that's one thing that's really weird, like about Disney stuff of the modern era, is that like there's really like not like I guess obvious like corporate synergy. Because mm -hmm. I know even like at one point in this, what Sarah has the Gremlins backpack. Yeah, she's got Gizmo on it. Yeah, and it's like oh, like that's cute because that was a Chris Columbus film, mm -hmm. or he yeah he wrote that. Yep, and you'd think like considering that Disney owns all of this stuff. You would think like one of these kids would have like I don't know a Marvel backpack or a Star Wars backpack oh, yeah. or something like that, and they don't. Like it's so weird how they keep these things so partitioned. 
Yeah, that's a good point for sure. It's it's not it's like uh you know they don't give Easter eggs like they used to. Yeah, I, I get it. Maybe they. I, I would be surprised. That sounds like an edict from up top. That something like you can't do that, uh, or maybe an unspoken rule. Because you would think like because even like in the remake, none of the kids are just like they're just kind of like there. Like okay. they don't have they they, ha- they have their all like their own like identity. But it's so just like archetypal. It's like, oh, you have the culinary kid, you have the edgy loner kid, you have the roller skating kid, and then you have the, like I said, the diva kid. And whereas with Sarah, she feels like a real person because this house unique her tastes are. Yeah, and she's always the one when you know stuff's going wrong, like they get a, they get the flat tire, they get carjacked. She's always like, this is exciting, you know? And it, it gives that, that extra, you know, next bit of layer to those scenes. You get all those personalities coming together. Yeah. Like, she feels the most unique in the entire film. And then you look at the remake, and none of the characters feel unique. They feel yeah. like just everything you've seen before in the most just stripped-down way possible. Yeah. Bummer. 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 Yeah. So Thor <laughs> is allegedly a homo. <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly. Um, so, okay, some of the jokes I definitely want to talk about. Um, it's it's great. You know, I definitely still think this movie's funny. It's got the great structure, like I said, but it also has those laughs. Um, some of it I, I've kind of lost on. Like, some things when I was a kid, I remember I just loved. Like, I don't know why, but when I was younger, when Anthony Rapp first shows up and he, like, blows his cheeks out onto the sliding glass door, like, that killed me when I was a kid. Like, I thought that was so funny. But, you know, now it's more of the stuff that I couldn't really pick up on when I was younger, like spiking Tab with Drano. That's hilarious. When um, Brad gets the knife thrown into his foot on the, the train by the, two, by the gang guy, um, they're carrying to the hospital. And Daryl's like, we got we to gotta get this fixed. Like, he could get tetanus. He could get this. He could get that. He could get emphysema. And it's just like, it's all these little things that come together. And like we are saying, it's these characters, you know? They all play to their personalities that they're given and that are fleshed out. And it all works. It all gels like characters should. It's fantastic. Oh, are you okay? Oh, I don't know. I can't feel anything. Don't touch it. It could get infected. Jesus. It could get anything. Tetanus, lockjaw, rabies, scabies, oh. emphysema. Oh. Well, then don't let him walk on it. Come on, pick him up. Yeah, it's it, it's what happens when people actually write a script. And again, <laughs> it's a difference between a film and a product. And a product, yeah, that's a great way to put it, absolutely. I, I did want to talk about something that uh, on the last uh, few viewings of this, especially I was thinking about a lot for this recording. Um, Brenda, I don't have the, the name of who plays her right in front of me, but Brenda, to me, is like doing... Uh, it should be the other way around because Home Alone came after it. Like I find when Brenda rants, like when she's on the phone to Chris and she's you know saying all this stuff, like I saw three people shoot up the Chinese lady with no pants and all that stuff. Like her rants in this movie at the bus stop, I get a huge Catherine O'Hara vibe, the mother from Home Alone. Like not only in like diction and you know the way it's said, but also in voice a little bit. I feel like there could be a Chris Columbus thing there where he was like, okay, p- play that up. Like that's kind of something he was directing them to do. I don't know when the last time you've seen Home Alone is or you know, Catherine O'Hara in anything, but did, did you get any kind of you know, maybe a connection between some of those Chris Columbus movies? I've never been a big Chris Columbus fan, um, especially his, uh, again, I've only ever seen the Harry Potter movies. Mm-hmm. Outside of this, I've I don't think I've ever seen any of the others. Like I've I, if I've seen Home Alone, I have no memory of it. Okay, um, I have no interest in ever seeing those movies. Um, yeah, so I I have no basis for any of that. I've never seen Rent. 
Um, I, I saw I Love You Beth Cooper, but I think that's very firmly in his quote-unquote has-been days. Sure, sure. Okay. Okay, I, I, I'm definitely going to look up, maybe do some comparisons, because some of it I was just like, I'm getting a real, you know, like uh, Kevin's mom from Home Alone vibe, and it was just like, Oh my God, there's a man with a gun. Get me the hell out of here. Brenda, look, just hang up and sit down. Don't move, I'll be there in half an hour. Oh, please hurry. I think he's going to kill somebody. Maybe me. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no way. This is Christmas. The season of perpetual hope. Mammoth. And I don't care if I have to get out on your runway and hitchhike. If it costs me everything I own. If I have to sell my soul to the devil himself, I am going to get home to my son. And then it, it kind of kicks in because, you know, Home Alone is, of course, a much more, you know, famous culturally than this movie. It's kind of like you have to remind yourself that this came first. You know, this was Chris Columbus's first movie. And I guess on that same vein, something that always gets me, let's, I like forget about until I watch this movie, is that we get the scene of when, you know, Handsome Pruitt, the tow truck driver, gets the call on his, his CB radio that, you know, the guy, the car's at front of your house again. And he's like, okay. I'm going to go get this bitch type of thing. And he pulls the gun out of the glove compartment when he gets to his house and he drives up on the side of the road, like on the lawns and stuff. We see a, a distinct shot of the truck knocking over the lawn jockey statue, which becomes a running gag in not only Home Alone 1, but also Home Alone 2. And we talked about it in our house episode, our house two, I should say, where they knock over the lawn jockey in the same like type of shot every single time. And it's like, Oh, if people know Home Alone so well, they know that running gag. But that's not the first time it's been done. So Chris Columbus, you know, has been trying to work out this stuff in his career. And, and that's, it's like you said, it's amazing. It's a film versus a product. Someone with a vision actually had it come into focus and come into creation. And it works. It makes sense. It's what movies should be. It's what stories should be. It's great. Get out of here, Rob. Get out of here, Rob, with all this nonsense about having a fully fleshed product. <laughs> get out of here yeah now uh we're i mean we kind of already did and we talked about it but you know we're gonna get dlc for movies and the thing that's in that stepping stone is that we had avengers in the avengers endgame in two parts it was infinity war in endgame and it's swipe your credit card to help the avengers do something it's buy this extra merchandise it's the uh it's the Fortnite star wars message that's never heard in the movie you know it's like you need hell. They've been doing it for a while. It's enter the matrix for the matrix reloaded. Like, Hey, here's a part of the story that isn't in the movie, but totally should be, but you need to find it through other sources. That infuriates me. Finished product. As we said before, it's great when there's a period on things, right? Oh, it drives me crazy. Uh, F it all. <laughs> Movies are awful. Burn it, burn it down. <laughs> burn it down. So, um, another joke that always gets me, is that, of course, a lot of the um, the issue or the 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 thing that kicks off the the craziness, the adventures in babysitting, is that as they're driving to Brenda, Chris's car gets a flat tire, and when they don't have the spare, they're like, okay, she's like, I'm gonna get my purse, we'll get a, a tow truck, and we'll pay for it. She realizes she forgot her purse back at the house, and that is, you know, why they can't just get out of this situation immediately. But I love that, you know, after they go through with Handsome, the tow truck driver, they get into the car with, uh, they get into the dude's car to kind of hide from the gunfire, and they realize that it's being carjacked. And when Chris realizes this after all the kids, in another comedic moment, she starts to freak out, and she's like, I'm still in control here. 
And one of the things she does to show that she's still in control is she's like, Sarah, I think it's time for you to take your cough medicine. And pulls out not only the cough medicine from her jacket pocket, but also a spoon to give the kid her cough medicine. So she forgot her purse, but she remembered cough syrup and a fucking dinner spoon. It's great. <laughs> yeah, that that sort of thing. That That's a little bit more contrived. I love it. It's cute, but it. it's yeah, contrived. Yeah. Fair, fair. I'll give you that. But oh, it's just like those little touches, you know? And like we said, everything's set up. You know, that the whole cough syrup is like, give it to her in an hour and then once before bed. So it's all there. It all makes sense. It's great. Great movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, since I mentioned it, I do want to say uh, Elizabeth Shue's, like, outfit in this movie, that's a great coat. I love that coat, which used to be her grandpa's, like that... I don't know, it almost looks like a burlap sack turned into a coat, you know? It looks like it's so heavy and, and woolen. And the car that she drives with the wood-sided paneling, like, we don't get to see that stuff anymore. It really was a product of its time. Well, that's a thing, too. Like, I, I think this might have been a homage in, this, in the remake, is that the uh, the neurotic character wears a very similar coat to that. Oh, okay. Like, okay. It's, 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 it's more stylish, of course. They both have to look very trendy. But it's more in the style of that, as opposed to the other one just kind of wearing a... Uh, like a jacket, a very trendy looking jacket. It's more conservative. Okay. Okay. So yeah, that, so from what I'm getting is they're pulling on like very, very loose things from the original. Yeah. For the remake. Okay. Clearly okay. somebody like in the costume department was like, okay, I'm going to have fun with it. Like I'm going to, I'm going to pay respect to this in very subtle ways. We couldn't get Elizabeth Shue. We couldn't get Bradley Whitford. So we'll get some similar outfits. That's the next best thing. <laughs> but that's the thing about even we haven't really highlighted her in a character sort of way. But even like Elizabeth Shue in this, that like she's playing the girl next door. Mm -hmm. Like all she wants is like she wants to have again. She wants the boyfriend. Like we're introduced to her like singing into the like what the the hairbrush. Yeah, as she's getting ready for the fancy French restaurant dinner date, and she gets disappointed, and that's how we emotionally have like our emotional connection to her. Yes, and again, juxtaposing that to the remake, we have a super neurotic girl, and we have a very laid back girl, and it's the two extremes. Yeah, we're here. It's just Brenda and Chris are friends. Yeah, <laughs> and Brenda and Brenda's not even a protagonist in the sense of like she's not again like you said. Would you call her the B plot? Yeah, she's and, almost the MacGuffin, right? <laughs> yeah, in a way. Yeah, because she, she she's she motivates the events of the plot, but she really kind of dissolves after a while. Um, but no, but that's the thing. It's so weird though. Is that like anybody watching this can relate to Elizabeth Shue. The idea of being disappointed and then being like kind of just put on this track to just doing all these things you never anticipated doing and then mm -hmm. having to figure out a way of getting out of it all. Anyone can relate to that. Nobody can relate to being a hundred percent neurotic or a hundred percent being laid back. And, and like Rob said, the idea of switching your cell phones is such a bizarre premise because it's so like rare. Even when this was made in 2016, that was very, a rare thing to happen. Yeah. Never mind even prior the idea of like swapping cell phones like I think that's even a plot of another Disney Channel movie that's stuck in the suburbs or I think I referenced in the pixel perfect discussion that movie too the entire like the entire events of that film are kicked off by people switching sw like cell phones inadvertently. Oh God okay that was earlier than this right. 
than uh, yeah, that was that was 2004. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, way earlier. Yeah, but way it makes early. more sense in like the in that weird period where we were getting new types of phones. It would make more sense to that switching them was common. But in 2016, absolutely not. You have every character's or every you know person is going to be glued to their phone because they know it's their property and if they're it's expensive and all that type of stuff. That's what I mean, though. But even like like bringing a step back with like the idea of the characters, there's no character in the remake for anybody to appreciate. Okay. Or, okay. or not me appreciate, but like kind of like uh, relate to. And that's the problem. It's like you need that kind of like, and it's weird that Disney Channel over time has moved further and further away with like away from that. Where mm-hmm. like Lizzie McGuire was that like, like that's the reason why that show still endures to this day and why people remember it so fondly was that anybody could relate to Lizzie McGuire's plight. The idea of being like, like a, a quasi nerdy, dorky kid in middle school, everybody's been there at some point. Sure. And yet, over time, it became more and more fantastical. Like, you have, well, what was the Selena Gomez show where they're all wizards? Then you have Hannah Montana. It's like, no, and I get Hannah Montana's plus, like, oh, she's a, she's a pop star by night, but by day, mm-hmm. she's just as awkward as anybody else at that age. And it's like, no, because most of the plot of that show, from what I can remember, was that people were always on the verge of finding out she was a pop star, and she always used that as a crutch to get out of problems. Okay. Like no kid at age twelve is able to sit there use that their their alter ego is a famous pop star to get out of issues. And you're making these TV show and movie scenarios so much more far fetched in a way that like who is this for? It's, it's like how yeah. like there's a reason why like I get it. People probably are streaming Hannah Montana on um. Disney Plus right now, I'm not denying that. But I think the thing is that there's a reason why Lizzie McGuire is getting a revival and not Hannah Montana for mm-hmm. no other uh, obviously we got the Miley Cyrus is still going through her like Britney Spears 2007 phase <laughs> almost t- 10 years later. Like I get that. But there's a reason why this the the entertainment resonates whether it be Elizabeth Shue or Hillary Duff in that it's that character that's written so that anybody can put themselves in the in that character's shoes yeah yeah exactly good storytelling and i think that goes an even further point even though we're saying you know it's good to have real stories finished products but i mean if kids are growing up with this convoluted nonsense that's that's not fostering good storytelling in the future that's just fostering more convoluted nonsense and that's a probably that's a much bigger issue than this than you know this podcast can tackle because it's it's like I said before with like you know why do why do people hate math? Well, because they've grown up with parents that hate math, you know, and the parents are like I can't do it, so you don't need to be able to do it. It's a vicious cycle, and it's not just you know education; it's with everything that people don't realize, and that that's an issue. What Rob's trying to say is that Adventures in Babysitting 2016 is a gateway drug to things like Avengers Endgame. You go into <laughs> yes. your inco- you go into your incomprehensible Disney Channel original movie. And then a few years later, you become addicted to your incomprehensible three hundred million dollar blockbuster. Yeah, it it takes the it takes the mantra of "don't think about it" and yep. turns it into turns it from a joke that people make on like older people make on podcasts to what people like honestly feel when their stuff gets critiqued. Like, don't think about it. Like, why does that matter? And that's 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 just terrible. Is that Disney's entire just like mission statement now with everything they put <laughs> out? Don't think about it. I I would have to say yes, and they're just breeding uh, a gen- generations of people who are just not going to think about things, and that's the best type of person to buy your product, right? The people who aren't going to think about it. 
I'm try, again, not to make this into another Disney discussion, because we did that a lot in December. But like, I, it has to be because that really didn't start until like after Michael Eisner was out and Bob Iger came in. That this it all became disposable entertainment. Okay, okay. Because even you, Michael, uh, I don't remember exactly with the names and stuff, but was Bob Iger the one you described as? He he wouldn't have his hand in all the projects. He would just ask, "How many zeros do you want on the check?" Was that that yes, one? Yes, that. Okay, yes. okay. My, Michael Eisner was the creative CEO. Yes, he's somebody that would have greenlit Avengers and Babysitting. Like he's the one that's like his idea was like with Pixar. It was like like Pixar would come to him and be like, "We want to make Toy Story 3. and he's like, "I already had those characters are already making me money. Go make me some new characters that can make me money." Mm-hmm. That was Michael Eisner. He was a creative CEO. Okay, and where that's Bob pro- Iger is just the just the how do we he turn signed, it out yeah, type of thing. Yeah. Okay, it's it's called product. It's called let's get it's called it's called let's make the money. As long as it makes money, it, no one's going to care whether it has any staying power. Yeah. Yep. Oh god, and that's just terrible. It is, and for a company that prides itself, that's the thing. I wonder, like, eventually he's going to have to just. Not resign for any bad reason, but just kind of resign because he's been doing this. Like he's going on almost twenty years. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So it's like there's this has to come to an end. But the only problem though is that like what's going to follow this up? Someone that's clearly just going to want to do the exact same thing. Hmm. Because that's that's easy you know, keeping profits up. It's keeping the shareholders happy, and it's easy. Yeah. Yuck. <laughs> Yuck. Yuck. Indeed. Yuck. It all comes back to Disney somehow. At least I think what we're discussing next week is not a Disney film. So we'll see how Disney gets involved there. Oh, jeez. No, yeah, I don't think, yeah, no. Um, all right, Rob, other highlights from Adventures in Babysitting? I think the um, the last big one that I did have some questions on how it compares to the remake is the music in the original Adventures in Babysitting. Um, the music is fantastic. Not only just with the opening song, uh, you know, uh, which is Then He Kissed Me by The Crystals. Great song. I love The Crystals. You know, they weren't Motown, but in that same era of Motown, you know, the 60s and stuff like that. Um, I, I, I just love the intro to this movie. Like, just the sound of that song is fantastic. And I think when I show this movie to people and I'm like, I love it, right off the bat, this is why they're like, oh my God, you love this movie? Because it's Elizabeth Shue playing a teenage girl dancing to a song about a guy kissing her. And people are like, Rob, are, are you okay right now? Like, this is, usually you show me rabbits. This is notably different <laughs> from rabbits. <laughs> when he danced, he held me tight. And when he walked me home. But, you know, I, I think that that intro, watching this as a kid and loving this movie, and I love that song. I think that shaped a lot of, you know, what I love now. Uh, any song that has rolling percussion and, like, the strings over it, you know, um, a great example is Zach's favorite member of Animal Collective, Panda Bear. The song Brothers is very, like, has that same tone, and it's great. <laughs>
But more importantly, as we've been kind of only hinting at, one of the stops that our characters have to make as they're trying to run from the chop shop people is in a blues club. And in the blues club in Chicago, we get one of the greatest cameos of all time from Albert Collins. And Albert Collins, I think, you know, is just as famous in the music in, music world as B.B. King, but of course more people, for whatever reason, latched onto B.B. King. I'm not sure the whole history there. But Albert Collins is great. He's one of the best blues players as far as I'm concerned. When I got into guitar, it was like looking at Albert Collins and playing in weird tunings with capos. Like, And in this movie, he's got his capo on like the seventh fret on his electric guitar, and he's doing all crazy like F minor things, and it's insane. And... It, it's just, we get a whole kind of musical scene in this movie. And I love it, because it's just another different style vignette that they throw in. And the way that it's set up also is, you know, they run out, they're running from the chop shop people, they end up on stage in this blues club, everybody goes silent, and they're like, oh, sorry for inter... Elizabeth Shue says, sorry for interrupting your little concert, which always comes off as a little condescending to me, even though it's it's not intended that way. She's like, oh, your little concert... And he says, nobody leaves this place without singing the blues. And not only do we get the great musical scene from our main characters with that, like the little, you know, doo-wop type of thing, but then that's what lets them get away from the chop shop people, because the chop shop people can't leave this place without singing the blues. Sir, uh, we didn't mean to interrupt your little concert here. If you don't mind, we'd just like to let ourselves off nobody the stage. Nobody gets out of this place without singing the blues. What? Nobody leave this place without singing the blues. <laughs> you want me to sing? And I really wish there was a scene where we have the, the old white dude who runs the whole operation and the head of that chop shop, like, singing the blues. I, but we don't get that. You know, they just kind of appear later on. So this is what I wanted to ask about the remake. From what I've read they have to get up on stage and do a rap battle. Is is it a rap battle in the sense of like they have to go back and forth or is it more of a performance like in the original? Uh, it's it's both. Um, what happens in the sequence is that the younger one, the neurotic one, like they go like they're running away from the people with the ferret and they go <laughs> just, you're killing every time you say yeah, that about the, the ferret, ferret. I realize I forgot that that was a thing and then <laughs> That's a I, plot when point. It, when it when it hits me in that millisecond, I'm just like I find it hilarious. So whatever it is, they're running away. Like they like they see people like going in and out of like a door, and they go and they run and they like sl- they slam the door shut and they lock it. And then the neurotic one's like walking. And it's a curtain. You can clearly tell that there's a performance going on beyond the curtain. Okay. And it's 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 a DJ, and she like stumbles over one of his cords and unplugs something from his like like turntable. And like obviously, we get the the record scratch moment where she's standing there awkwardly because she's the one who knocked the plug out. <laughs> and my thing is that like, if you're a DJ and you didn't plan ahead of time that you didn't place all your wires in a location where no one's gonna like trip over them, that's on you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like a. I would imagine that's like mandated, you know? Because I know at non DJ concerts, there's equipment at any of them. Like the venue and the roadies are supposed to be like. You know, that's one of that's their job. They have to make sure that it's like, you know, people can't trip on it. It's not going to cause danger. It's not going to come unplugged and you blow out the system and cause everybody to put their hands over their ears. And then even if it is in a weird place, you're going to like destroy, not destroy it, but you know what I mean? Like cover it in tape so it's flush against the ground and stuff like that. Yeah, that, don't that think kind of, don't think about it, it right? Yeah, don't think about <laughs> it exactly. But it's like it's on the stage in the middle. Of, it's like that, that just bothers me. I get it. 
eight-year-old girls don't care about that. But it's like that just drives me nuts. Like if, if I was an adult watching this with my kid, I'd be like, okay, there's got to be something better on um, for you to watch. <laughs> um, but no, it's like it goes on, and they're like, and it's very similar to the original in that it's like you can't leave here until you rap. And it's like it's like just rap, and like we had the neurotic girl be like, "Uh," and she starts saying things. It's like, "Yo, so the guy who I like, he went to on like, and she she again, both Sabrina Carpenter and Sophia Carson are both are both Disney musically inclined, and in that they're in the stable of people that are there to be the triple threat that can sing, dance, and act. Mm-hmm. So they they they're fine. It's 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 a clunky rap. It, it clearly it was written by people who are not musically inclined. It's written by uh, screenwriters. Um, and they go back and originally it first starts off the neurotic one, then the other one joins and they have a back and forth where they kind of like take shots at each other. Okay. Um, it, it's very modern quote unquote. Yeah. Cause if it's your first time, you got uh, Fine. Rap, Jenny. They want you to rap. See, but I can't rap. I'm a babysitter. Just say something. Anything. Just go be creative. Huh. Hello. My name is Jenny Parker. And these kids are my crew. We're in a lot of trouble, and I'm not sure what to do. See, it all started when our phones made a switch. Lola lied to the parents. She's been a real witch. Kids snuck out, the kitchen caught fire, the car got towed, all because she's a liar. Now these bad guys are chasing us. We almost just died. I got a tattoo. Can you let that one slide? Yeah, but just one thing I want to point out about the music of the uh, the remake, like any good Disney Channel original movie, you have actors involved sing music in regards to the film, but unlike something like Pixel Perfect where it's diegetic music, we have a song that they recorded for this in 2016, and I actually remembered listening to this in 2016 because I am a man child <laughs> sure. that loves this sort of music. Um, my music, if anybody and you're forgotten. not, and you're not defined by one genre. <laughs> no, I am not. I love my post-teen pop. Um, you're defined by subsets of one genre. <laughs> there you go. And so I remember listening to the the quote unquote anthem of this film. It was something I think it was called "The Wild Side." By okay. Sabrina Carpenter and Sophia Carson, of course. and I remember that. Like, vague, I vaguely remembered it while watching it. But there's no point in this movie where the song is ever just sung. I figured, oh, maybe that's where they would sing it. Is at the rap battle? Yeah. No, it's it's not brought up there at all. The song, it's in, it's not even entirety. Like, the song is only ever heard with their vocals over the credits. Which makes no sense considering that neither one of them is ever alluded to be like musically inclined. Okay. Jeez. But but the weird part is that at numerous points throughout the film, almost like Doctor Sleep level with the shining womp 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 <laughs> sting that comes out of nowhere, we get like an instrumental sample of the song just at random moments when they're like walking places. It's almost like transitional music. So okay. like, we'll like, we'll see them like when they're driving into the city, we'll get like an establishing shot, of, like overhead as the car makes its way down the freeway. But we'll hear that like 
it's not even a sting. It's like just it's a it's like a five to ten second sample of this the instrumental without the lead without the 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 voices the singers mm-hmm. and we hear that like four or five times in this and it just it's like transitional music. That's so strange. It's like, like okay, it's, it's, it's not even like in a montage or something because th- that would even be like it I might, think the bare minimum. It, it might show up in a montage, but I know the only genuine montage we get in this is at the very end when they do like a cat in the hat level cleanup. And I guess I should reference that version versus what we get in this with Elizabeth Shue. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it it, it shows up more as transitional music, and then we get like the full song. I guess one thing I gotta give the, the Disney Channel movie credit thing for is that when they play the credits the credits are all like five seconds long like it's like and it's like when we see the two characters like say like by it says like the end and we cut to the credits and the credits last all of like 15 seconds oh, and geez. it's like okay moving on i'm like great why can't every movie have credits this fast yeah <laughs> i guess should be pointed out that the the production budget of the remake was nine million dollars Okay, is that Which, how does that rank for Disney Channel TV movies? I uh, considering that they had a lot of special effects for Pixel Perfect, and that cost four million in two thousand four. Oh yeah, and how like there's some stunts in this. Like at one point, like they're in a um, oh god, it's it's weird. It's very there's some weird like uh, allusions to other films in this. Mm-hmm. Um, like the like the um, no, not this. I'm sorry. Um. I, I, or actually, there's one in this that's very weird. We have a moment that I swear was somebody trying to make a connection to the Terminator. Okay, we have a okay. moment where they sneak into a factory. It's not a factory. It's like a garment producing factory where they produce um, like safety clothes for like people who have to st- like like uh, like stand on the street. Like the people oh, who sit sure. there like wave traffic. It's like reflective. It's so like y- y- people can see it on the road, and. They're in that sort of factory, and when they walk in, it's shot very similarly to the factory at the end of the Terminator. <laughs> okay. And then, and then at one point, it even like it's even like kind of even smoky to like the department store that Kyle Reese is in, where he like gets all of his clothes. Mm-hmm. And at one point, like the characters are running, trying to like oh like avoid the bad guys with the the blue painted ferret. Yep. And while they're in there, out of nowhere, the bad guys start turning on all the equipment. Is there a uh, hydraulic press? Almost. Okay. There there's where they have all the like the the uniforms and suits. They're on like like the um dry cleaning conveyor belt where they go up and down, they ascend sure. and descend. And that for some reason, it's never explained. The bad guys, we literally have a scene of them flipping all the switches on, very similarly to Kyle Reese at the end of Terminator. Mm. And just between how it's shot and just the fact that like it's it's like a automated warehouse. Yeah. Um, it's it's I never expected Terminator imagery in the Adventures in Babysitting remake. <laughs> yeah, that is um completely unexpected. Yeah, it's it, it's weird. Like it's one of those, it's not that it's bad, it's just out of, it's out of nowhere. Well, okay. Don't Go don't figure. think about it, yeah. <laughs> oh geez. So I think before we get to our questions, the only the last thing I wanted to bring up was um something I didn't know until the research for this. Um, but apparently in eighty nine they tried to turn Adventures in Babysitting into a TV show, and the pilot never got sold. Had, did you look into this at all? I read down the Wikipedia page, but it kind of began and ended there. 
Oh, okay, okay. I did a little further into it to try and see, like, um, you know, where it kind of went to and, and why it got turned down. I, I think it was just, um, it, it was a lack of interest. Uh, but the thing that stood out to me was they were trying to keep the same characters. So um, they wanted the same characters, but they didn't want the same actors. So it wasn't going to have, like, you know, Elizabeth Shue and, and Anthony Rapp and stuff like that. But the the character of Brad was cast in the pilot at least as joey lawrence oh <laughs> so i'm glad that never got sold uh, i don't think this needed to be a tv show i think it works as you know the loose vignettes in a movie that's that is perfect for the structure of it but it would have been very strange uh, i'm sure it caused some different uh, career paths if joey lawrence was in something like this i found that a yeah. little interesting yeah how about that Yep. So other than that, if there's nothing else you have, Zach, are we ready for our questions for this well, new series? Two final things. Sure. One thing about the 1987 film, and I, I kind of didn't realize it until this morning, uh, this afternoon, mm-hmm. where when we have Elizabeth Shue in her bedroom getting ready and she's she's singing into the hairbrush, that is uh, in the Lizzie McGuire movie. That movie begins with Hilary Duff in her bedroom getting ready for middle school graduation, and she's singing and dancing. And I get it. I'm not saying Adventures in Babysitting created that sequence of yeah, somebody singing yeah. into that. But the fact that they're both Disney movies, and they both have that kind of wholesome girl-next-door character, and they're both kind of like in their own little la-la land world as they sing like a – I think in the um, Liz McGuire movie, it's The Tide is High. And I think that's interesting. I, I find that mm. a neat little comparison between the two movies, considering that, again, the girl next door concept is both another element they have in common. Um, oh, but, okay, okay. But I think, last, I think uh, we're keeping it a little under wraps. I like the mystery of, you know, like every week we can have our, our audience figure out which which person loves the movies that we're talking about. So maybe the Lizard McGuire movie will come up. But Zach's giving that away then because he... We know that he loves that one. <laughs> I I would love. I, that's the problem with me. Like Rob, ha, Rob can pull these like weird things out of his hat because like Rob has such a centric taste. I I always I make it known like I like weird ass. I, I, my tastes are all over the place. So yes. like if someone's, I remember when I was pitching Rob on my stuff, and Rob's like, eh, I could I could see you liking that. Eight like, the different bet- things were uh, 18, 18's music videos we've already covered. <laughs> No, because what happened was one of the things I really wanted to discuss in the series was La La Land, the Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone film. And Rob's like, Zach, that's not unexpected for you. I'm like, what do you mean? I've never wanted to talk about a romance film before. You're like, Zach, doesn't it have dancing in it? And I'm like, damn <laughs> it. I cracked. I cracked the thread on, on, on Zach's he psyche. He did. Because at dancing. one point. Oh, I'm sorry. Talk- I'm sorry. Dancing, <laughs> dancing. Um, yeah, that's the problem. I even want to do bring it on with Kirsten Dunst, and he's like, Zach, it's dancing. I don't make the rules. You're the one that's established this, <laughs> and I'm like, damn it. And that's what it kind of came to. Because I even like at one point I was considering Titanic, and, he, and Rob's like, Zach, we did three episodes on Titanic. That's not going to surprise anybody that you like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so yeah, that that's my problem. Rob Rob's rather guarded about the things that 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 aren't obvious with him, like rabbits and bizarre weirdo crap. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. 
Um, but no, the last thing I want to point out is that like we have like much like the end of this, we have uh, the 1987 film. Elizabeth Shue comes home with the kids, and everybody has to kind of like she has to clean the house real quick. Mm-hmm. In her version of cleaning the house, all she has to do is essentially just like what wipe down the counter, and that's it. Yeah, she has to get rid of the popcorn that Brad spilled at the beginning. She has to wipe down the counter. And then what, like straighten some magazines? <laughs> yeah, that's essentially it. Yeah, they, the, they really weren't at the house that long. You no. Know? Like, so, so it makes sense that there's not too much. In the remake, it's infinitely worse. And is it ever said in the 1987 film how much time they have once they get home? I don't think it's ever said, but it's, it's visually shown as like, you know, maybe five or ten minutes or something. The only, it seems like it's fast in the movie, but we do get the setup where as they're, as Chris is driving the kids back to the house, they're like, oh, is that your parents' car? And she goes, how fast do your parents drive? And they go, oh, like 45? And she goes, we'll do 80. So maybe a little bit longer. Okay, fair. But in the remake, they, before they leave the house, because even though there's two houses, it's only the one house that's trashed. Okay. Because it's the one that's the more relaxed one. Because she's told, like, oh, because that's where the, you have the one kid who's baking. And you have, in like, right before the parents leave, they ask the hippy dippy girl to be like, oh, can you do a load of laundry? And we see her very oh, early. Okay. She's, she pours the fabric softener in and she just keeps like pouring and pouring and pouring. And she literally, it was just in one scene that's actually some pretty funny physical comedy. The, the little tray is completely full and she slams it shut. And we see a giant like glob of soap like hit the wall behind the washer. Okay. Um, I thought that was at least funny because at least was like kind of like something that required some effort. I'm thinking also that you, from what you said before, there's a bathroom filled with green hair dye that needs to be cleaned up too. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> never that's never shown though. Yeah, that yeah, would, that, that would break the bank. Yeah. <laughs> um, but because then, then even as the parents are leaving, they also have like a poodle that's like a like a prize like a, a show dog, and they tell the hippy dippy girl to be like. Oh, make sure Mr. Chuckles like doesn't like get stressed because they have a big tournament tomorrow. Okay. So and so as they're leaving the house, ha- like, before they leave the house, the the hippy dippy girl puts a load of laundry and puts too much soap. So you know, at some point there's gonna be a giant like mound of like the, the, the washer is gonna leak and mm-hmm. have a ton of suds. Um, even though I'm pretty sure that doesn't happen that way anymore with like modern appliances. Sure. But that's just me. And uh, but then. They have a hot tub too. And so while the one son who's the culinary kid is making food, for some reason he's supposed to be making cupcakes and he wants the perfect icing, but mm. it's never explained that he's for some reason making like tomato sauce. Ooh, okay. So while he's making <laughs> tomato sauce, Cupcake he likes Parmesan. the <laughs> yeah, I know. And while he's making the tomato sauce, the hippy dippy girls outside in the hot tub. And then he lights the stove on fire and he starts freaking out. And she's like, like, she's like, where's the fire extinguisher? And while all this is happening, like, like the stove's on fire. So there's a mess all over the place. And then like, I guess he, like something happens with the thing that's on fire, like flies up and goes onto the dog's bed and the dog's bed catches on fire. So there's a giant like soot stain and like a burn hole in it. Oh my God. And then. And then, because then obviously the events of the film transpire, and we cut back to the dog, and the dog's on the counter, like licking like the leftover mess that they left. Mm-hmm. And whatever the dog does, like knocks over the, the entire like pan of spaghetti sauce, and it lands on the white poodle, and the dog's just completely like covered in it. Okay. And so at the end of the and plus two, 
when they drive into the city, they take the mother's like brand new clean SUV. And of course, in the city, it gets dirty from like a puddle. Um, we should point out that at one point, there's a puddle slash pothole that's literally a crater. That's another funny element to the film. It's literally a, a crater filled with water. Okay. Um, there are, I think you'll be amused, Rob. You might not like it, but you'll be amused by the remake. Um, sure. It's not boring. And okay. so, and so like, they make a point of saying like, when the parents are driving home, they're like, oh, like, how long is it going to take? Oh, it should take us 15 minutes to get home. So they get home. And let's just, for the sake of argument, give them the entire 15 minutes. In the span of 15 minutes, and yes, there's there's two teenagers and there's five kids, but in that span, they wipe up the entire laundry room that's covered in like an inch of water and suds, clean that up in this 15 minutes. They wash the dog, they clean the SUV, and they clean the entire kitchen in 15 oh, minutes. Geez. Oh God! It, it, we, it makes me it, it makes me think of like uh, the what is it Rick and Morty season one finale where yep, they have to stop yep. time to clean the house, but but they just were stupid about it in this remake and didn't stop time. They were just like, hey, okay, it's done. And then on top of that, to add insult to injury, when the hippy dippy girl is finished, she lays on the couch and puts her feet up the exact same way Elizabeth Shue does. Oh, okay, yep, okay. So like we were saying, they're taking the bare over, minimum over, over the armrest with the magazine. Jeez. Okay. And, and but it's even weirder, not weirder, but even like just poor, just like spacing out time, is that on top of cleaning all these things, because uh, the one girl has to get back to the other kid's house because she still has them, has to drop them off. Mm-hmm. And even though there's only 15 minutes, they get all this stuff done in that 15 minute span. They've cleaned everything up already, and yet they still have time to say their goodbyes. <laughs> oh god. We we kind we kind of have our like Barney ending where it's like. I love, like, I'll love you, little Janie, and I'll miss you too, Sarah. And <laughs> I love you. Like, what have we learned? And it's that sort of thing. And then we have that. The parents walk into the hippy dippy girl. And she's like, "Oh, everything's fine. It was a quiet night." And then we cut back to the the neurotic girl, and she's dropped the kids off. But I even mentioned this that the boyfriend at this point now it's the boyfriend from the concert. He finds her at the house where she's leaving. And she's like, oh, I have Sarah's headphones. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, Sarah forgot her headphones. He goes, no, I asked her if I could keep them so I have an excuse to talk to you. Never mind, we've established that they're already at the concert together. Why do he need an excuse to talk to her? Clearly, they're interested yeah. in one another. Again, it makes no sense whatsoever. But we need that cute moment at the end, very similarly to what happens in the original, where the yep. two kids are leaning out the window and they're like, ask her out ask her out and it's like but they make it progressive and they tell her ask him out okay okay gotta be that, progressive see, I, don't, I don't i don't i don't like it but i i see where they're going but in in the original it, it makes perfect sense because you know i i get being progressive switch on it but in, in the original it makes perfect sense because they're like kiss her and it's like because that's what she was singing in the beginning. Then he kissed me type of thing. So it all works. It all gels together. Oh, and there's even no when romance he... in this too, by the way, there's no, there's oh, no God. touching. There's no kissing. It is like the most weirdly sanitized platonic relationships. Jeez, I don't get it. I don't get it. Disney, you're confusing me and I don't like it. <laughs> that's the weird, like, that's the weird thing. As I was watching the remake, I, I just, I, I get it. It's it's the Disney syndrome of they want to please everybody. It's physically po- physically impossible. But like we live in an age where we have all these 
and I know this is like an oxymoron, progressive values. Mm-hmm. Yet at the end of the day, both of our protagonists both end up with guys. Yep. And that feels so out of step with what, like, Disney's progressivism ideals are. Yeah. But, like, they end up with both guys, but, like, only in the sense that, like, they end up with them there, but there's no any sort of just, like, what's the word? Like, I don't want to say, there's no attraction there. Like, they Mm -hmm. only get with these guys because the script tells them to. Yeah. Not because of any sort of chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't figure that out. Like, if you're just going to make them have love interest for the sake of having love interest, but not have them do, I'm not saying they have to have sex, but like, not to have them ever show any physical affection for each other, other than maybe hugging. But that's okay. what's so weird, though, is that like, I, I would imagine that like, if parents saw a 17 year old kiss another 17 year old in a TV movie, I don't get how that would offend anybody. Yeah, especially in today's day and age, like that's the weird thing. Like we're weirdly, we're very progressive in this stuff, but we're also like retroactively like deconstructing these things. And I don't get that. Yeah, me neither. Because there's stuff that's I would assume intended other stuff intended for this same age range as the remake, even younger, where they talk about you know boyfriend girlfriend relationships, handholding, kissing. You know that's that's nothing to get upset about, right? I, I don't know, though, because I remember even, like, going back to my Lizzie McGuire history, and even, like, from what little I remember of Hannah Montana, it's like they, like, even though Hillary Duff was less of this, but, like, I remember when, Hill, like, in that show, when Lizzie McGuire gets her first kiss, that's a huge, huge thing in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, it's not that, like, they really don't do much of that afterwards, but even in Hannah Montana, I remember her, she like, she had a bunch of boyfriends in that that she was always close with. But okay. over time, though, like, I don't think even, like, in the Selena Gomez show, she ever kisses anybody. And then even, like, I remember the last Disney Channel show I ever watched, I think it was, uh, it was the Zendaya Bella Thorne one from, like, almost 10 years ago. And even in that, there wasn't a lot of, there was, I don't think there was ever any physical contact outside of hugging. Mm, okay it's weird it's it's like i don't know where that like where that comes from i don't like i get it between like 12 13 year olds that that's a little okay let's not put that in here but if you're having this between people like on the verge of adulthood i yeah. i don't get how that would be i don't know it's it's so i, I it's something inexplicable this this i clearly all of this is like corporate mantras none of this is creative decisions mm-hmm. i don't know it's it's like it's it. bizarre. It's exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I guess it's just one final thing about the remake that the uh, the boyfriend character or the would be boyfriend that does become the boyfriend at the end. Okay, he drives. He actually drives a car that would be perfectly. It would be it would fit in perfectly in the world of the eighty seven film. He drives like a like a nineteen nineties SUV, but it has like monster <laughs> truck wheels. Oh, okay, yeah. So that's that's kind of well, it's not the same character, but that's kind of the the update of the um the car with the so cool license plate. It's like some gaudy type of thing they throw on there. It's it's not even that it's like it's gaudy. It's just bizarre. Okay, okay. It's like in 2016, what 17 year old boy is driving like the chassis of a like 1990s SUV with the wheels of like a monster truck? 
Yeah, that is that is strange. It's it's so <laughs> weird. Like, like I'm glad they did it. It gives some identity to the to like whatever's going <laughs> yeah. on. Um, but like it's another one of those decisions. Like, was like did somebody lose a bet? Like, did, like whoever's in charge of supplying the cars for the film? Because like I said, the hippy dippy girl drives a blue jeep with eyelashes on the headlights. The neurotic girl drives a Prius, and they make sure you know it's a Prius because every time she drives, you don't hear anything. You hear that like light hum. Sure. And yet you have that, and it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what is going on? Oh, man. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put it on the list. I'll probably check it out. Maybe not for yeah. a while. I'll probably, it'll be one of those situations where I, like, sit down to watch it, and I'll, like, subconsciously go to the original and just watch the original again. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I, I'll, I'll see if I stop myself and be like, no. I've seen this. I need to see something new. <laughs> new and quote. Well, that's the weird thing is that like it's that's the thing that like it's so bizarre and almost contradictory. Is that like we always talk about when it comes to like remakes of things, like you don't want it's like that weird balance of like you don't want to redo the exact same thing because why make a duplicate? Mm-hmm. But if you stray too far away, not why not just call it its own thing? Yeah. In a weird way, this might be the ideal like remake in that it's so it's such a departure from the original okay that in a weird way it's like you almost feel like again it is it's it's such a departure that it is its own thing but to the point where it's like why give it that name why yeah, burden it with yeah. that if you are going to do your own thing and that's and that's the the ultimate catch 22 with any remake yep yeah it's the whole remix versus cover thing with just with movies absolutely i hear yeah. that all right, I look forward look forward to it, folks. In a few months, when Rob finally talks about uh, Adventures in Babysitting 2016, <laughs> maybe a few oh. years, maybe like in 2038, when we get the uh, another remake of this, we'll talk about that. We'll be comparing the 2038 film to the 2016 version. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yep, it's going to be <laughs> the Avengers in Babysitting in 2038. And and the and and Thor is gonna have to take care of little kids for some reason. That's what all remakes are gonna be, just with, with the adventures. There's there's actually an argument to be made that like the relationship between Sarah with the I with the notion of Thor and Adventures and Babysitting is essentially the plot of like Spider Man and Tony Stark in the Avengers movies. Oh geez. This weird I don't sort think of like about this. <laughs> it's this weird sort of like idolization of like this character that's like I kind of like inexplicable. and it's actually I'd say it's weirder in the Avengers films than it is in the eighty seven film. Okay. I think about that, like, in 1987, a little girl, like, like reading Thor comics and being smitten with a Norse god who has a hammer that can make him fly in a winged helmet, that makes sense why, like, a seven-year-old girl will be enamored with that as a concept. What doesn't make sense is, like, a 14-year-old who has the powers of a spider being enamored <laughs> with a guy that wears a suit of armor. Jeez. Oh, I think about it. This character has more fantastical powers than the than the character he idolizes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's so weird. That's such a weird notion. That is. I've never thought about it that way because I actively try not to think about Marvel anymore. But but you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. I got All one right. of those shock bracelets. Every time I think about Marvel, it shocks me, so I can condition myself. <laughs> <laughs> if only we can install that every person in this country. Um, <laughs> 
All right, Rob. Cinemodity and or late night movie. Ooh, all right. So for cinemodities, this is a tough, this is a tough decision to reach, but I'm actually going to say no. I don't think there's anything odd about this. I think, you know, in the years that I've, even, even though I've rewatched it so many times and I love this movie and I truly love with a capital L and an OVE, all caps, it's, it's, there's nothing really odd to it, you know? It is something from my childhood. It's, it's a good story through and through. It's a good movie. It's a, it's a well-done, you know, finished product. And I don't really find anything odd about it. For late night, though, always and forever. <laughs> I want people to see this. I want people to to know that I love it, understand why I love it, and it's good fun. You know, it's got some good laughs. It's a good uh, it's a, it's an easy late night movie. You know, I wouldn't say it's like a, a beginner or any way that we've talked about cinemas in late night. It's just kind of like you can throw it on, and it's a pretty laid back experience. I would say, and I don't think we have too many of those for late night. So sure. always and forever, <laughs> easily digestible cinema. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I'm going to do mine because obviously I watched the remake. I'm going to do, uh, uh, I'm going to pull a, a turn on Rob. I'm okay. going to offer a Cinemonides double feature. Mm. I'm, go- I'm going to say I agree with Rob. Um, and maybe Adventures in Babysitting 1987 by itself, watching it in today's era is a bit of a Cinemonide because it's just, it's everything is so different. Like what Yo, you can yeah. get away with now in entertainment, or what you can't get away with now, what you could then. Um, I think under that lens, maybe it's a cinemati, but overall to no. But I think if you did a double feature of the 87 and 2016 films back to back, I think that'd be, I think that's a cinemati's double feature. Um, in this, and it goes for late night movie. I think this would be a fantastic double feature of just watching these two back to back and being like, what? Huh? That's interesting. Yeah. Doing like an original and a remake in a double feature. That isn't, that's a neat idea. And they're different enough that I don't think you'll feel like you're watching the exact same thing again. Yeah, yeah, that's important. Yep. There, you don't get that like feeling of just being like, okay, I've been here, done this before. Like, yeah, there's moments here and there. <laughs> but overall, they feel like two unique experiences. Yeah, you definitely don't want to do a double feature with Hitchcock Psycho and then the Vince Vaughn Psycho, right? <laughs> uh, uh. Um, <laughs> the literal identical movie just directed by someone else. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, as for a late night movie for uh, the 1987 film by itself, um, sure, why not? It's it's fun entertainment. It's got enough stuff going on in it. It's yeah, I I, I cannot imagine showing this to anybody and them being mad or uh, frustrated at it by the end. Yeah, yeah. If anything, it goes down smooth. Gonna, if anything, they're just going to call you a homo. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Do you have a late night for the uh, 2016? By by itself or com- I, eh, by itself it's by itself yeah no it's, it's okay you, you'd never want like unless you're Rob and you have an affinity for the original and you just want to see how it compares no I would say by itself no but combined with the 1987 film yes okay gotcha yeah yeah that yeah that's a neat idea I like that double feature concept for sure yeah by itself the 19 uh, the 2016 film is solely designed for uh 12 year old girls it's Mm-hmm. That's its wheelhouse. It's not trying to. It's not trying to impress any other demographic. Indeed, indeed. All right, are we ready for snacks? I am ready. I've been holding out this whole time. I've been holding <laughs> back my trump card. Okay, I think we we should say that the um the restaurant is going to take a while to become mobile. I know we said that last week, but we should give an update. We're still working on that, so so we're not quite there yet. Um, I think there is one snack. That is going to be overlap. I don't think it's your trump card, Zach, which I'm very interested to hear. 
but I think it's one we both want. Tab, tab. with Drano. With Drano. Yep. <laughs> I think we already have Tab somewhere in somewhere, here. Somewhere, yeah. From some, we saw Tab somewhere at some point. Um, some older movie. I can't remember. But we have, you know, maybe Tab with or without Drano. Like a shot of Drano in it. Yeah, I like that. Okay, okay, right on. Um, the other ones that I liked, uh, the popcorn that gets spilled by Brad in the beginning of the movie is stovetop popcorn, which I think, you know, if we have popcorn in our restaurant, we should make it stovetop. None of this, you know, microwave or... I guess the machine would be okay, because that's kind of like stovetop, just portable. Um, but then the last two things, uh, it's uh, one goes to a scene with Brenda at the bus station that we didn't talk about, where she tries to pay for a hot dog oh. with a check. Yep. <laughs> and and she gives a whole convoluted thing about why. She tells the hot dog vendor why she has the check, first of all. And then she's like, it's all good. I'll just sign it over to you. You keep the difference. I get the hot dog. And he's like, if you don't give me the money, you don't get the wiener type of thing. Uh, those are hot dogs, right? Yeah. Want one? Mm, yeah, I'd love one. That'll be two bucks. Check. Yeah, but it's a good check. See, Chris's mom wrote it to Chris because Chris bought her something. I can't remember what. Then I bought Chris some press-on nails. I gave Chris the difference, and she wrote the check over to me. So I'll write the check over to you. You keep the difference, and I'll, I'll take the hot dog. So you got a pen? Get out of here. Wait! I'm starving. You'd rather throw it away than give it to me. I work on a cash-only basis. But it's a perfectly good check. No! I'll make it very clear. You slip me the cash, and I'll slip you the wiener. But I don't have any cash. That I don't have a wiener. Oh, so, yeah. I, I want to flip that and make it so we have hot dogs that you can only get with a check. What do you think? I don't know how much they would cost. I think it's like, what, two bucks or a dollar fifty in the movie? So we would have, like, you know, we want to check for that small of an amount. It's because that's, that's the best way to run a business is to, one, get checks in this day and age and for, for that small of an amount. So I was thinking that, you know, uh, hot dogs that you can only get with a check. But then I also want, of since, of course, to remind everybody, our restaurant, our entirely real restaurant has infinite amount of space. Don't forget. We need another stage or a room of the restaurant placed in such a way that people will accidentally stumble upon it and they are not allowed to leave until the customers sing the blues. Are we actually have like blues musicians there? Or is it oh, just- yeah, there would, there would be background. It would, it would be a good okay. it would be like production quality. Oh, and the thing, oh, I, I can't leave this out. The way we get... Maybe if it's since we have an infinite void of space, it's difficult to, you know, talk about the center of the restaurant. It's difficult to place things so that people would stumble on it like frequently. We get the wait staff when the customers ask where the bathrooms are. They send them to this room where they have oh, to sing boy. the blues to get out of. <laughs> so we're funneling people, customers into this area and then we're like using them for entertainment. Ooh, I like that. Basically, we're forced, like you said, we're basically corralling them through there. In order to get to the bathroom, you have to go through that, like, threshold. Yes, yes. And that, that might that might not be good because a lot of people would sing the blues about having to go to the bathroom. But oh, I'll take yeah. one, it. One no I'll entertainment. T- <laughs> but but I'll take it. I just want, you know, maybe we'll get uh, an Albert Collins, like, animatronic or something. Um, I don't think I'd want him as a deadite. An animatronic would be good. And he's like, nobody leaves this place without singing the blues. 
Nobody leave this place without singing the blues. There we go. So that was it. Those those are my snacks and uh, updates to the restaurant. Uh, more more music things. Well, I'm sure you're gonna do a uh, Hagen dazs. Oh yeah, I that came up, but I I couldn't think of anything to you know really get there. You know, I you know, did you have anything with the Hagen dazs? Because they just talk about I, that they want to go get it, right? In the 2016 movie, that's another plot thread where one of the characters is giving given money for ice cream, and. Okay. Again, weird carry through. They're like, "Oh, I have." I wanted to take a bus, and they're like, "Oh, I have ten dollars to pay for all of us." Like that's not enough. And it's like, how much ice cream would you, did you expect? Like one person to buy three kids like ice cream, like for ten dollars? Yeah. Like I don't know what ice cream place you could go to where like it's not at least five bucks per person. Hmm. Definitely. But whatever. Um. I don't know. We probably could work. Do we have ice? Do we have? I don't know. On the Cinemati's menu, do we have a lot of desserts? Uh, I know we probably have a handful, but not a lot. I think that. That was after, I think, when we started saying how we didn't have a lot of beverages, and then we said that so much that we did have a lot of beverages, yes. I think we went on, like, a two-week a tear. Ta- a tear on, like, desserts, but only two weeks, and then we forgot about it. I like the idea of providing haagen Dazs, but what we do is we literally just, like, take, like, one of those, like, things that come out of, like, a cardboard box, and we throw... Like, I remember, I remember, this was years ago, I was at some restaurant, I think I was when I still live in Florida... And they had like ice cream on the menu. And it was like, oh, like what kind of ice cream do you like? It had like all these like unique flavors. Mm-hmm. And one of them was like, oh, like, like one of them was a like, cotton candy flavored ice cream. I'm like, oh, that's great. And they literally gave me one of those just like frozen cups you can get from like Sam's Club. Oh, like the cheap off brand. Yeah. Basic. yeah. Okay. And, and it comes with that little wooden spoon that like you have to like <laughs> scrape it with. Was there and a joke like, on it? It might have been. I don't know. I don't okay. was laughing at that point. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what we get. That's the sort of ice cream we do. We we literally give them like some level of just like generic ice cream that you can buy anywhere else, but like the markups and saying like, "Where you go to Sam's Club, you can get like a dozen of those for like fifteen dollars." We charge like two ninety nine each. Okay, okay, I get behind that. All right, and I have another dessert. See, okay, yeah, I, I, I'm amping it up now. This <laughs> element of the 2016 film, I think I mentioned. It, you have the one kid who's like the culinary kid, and when they're at the gala, they have to, um, for some reason, they're told, like, okay, stay put. As they try to do the thing where they steal the money out of the mom's purse. Mm-hmm. And the son is in there, and he's watching, like, the French chef being chewed out by the executive chef. And he leaves the French chef after he squirts a bunch of chocolate frosting in the executive chef's face. Okay. So the son goes up to the executive chef and is like, I'm going to take over. And the executive chef's like, oh, who are you? I'm a culinary expert. And then out of nowhere, the executive chef just listens. He's like, people, I need ingredients. Get me all the ingredients I can. And it's never explained what he's trying to do. So that, like, we have a scene of him like with all these little Dixie cups with this like minimal amounts of um like toppings. Mm-hmm. But like they're like like it's like cheese, it's like paprika, it's like celery. And I'm like, what are they trying to do? Because before it was like some sort of just like icing they were trying to like make. Yeah. And then like by the end, like he's asking for like innovative. He keeps saying, I want innovative ingredients. So they just keep handing him like all these like really like mundane things. And then eventually, and you wouldn't even know what this, I wouldn't even know what this was unless I've had it before. They hand him a sheet of dry seaweed. Okay. And he's like, aha. And he starts crumbling it up. And we cut back to another like sequence in the movie that has nothing to do with 
the culinary stuff. And then we cut back and we see a bunch of just like, I, it looks like pudding later in the film. They say it's chocolate mousse, but he used, and there's some other ingredient. They don't show what he used with it. But what he's doing is he takes these little like parfait cups. They're filled with chocolate mousse and he's crumbling seaweed on top of them. Ooh. And everybody thinks this is a delicacy. That doesn't sound good. I don't think I've ever had dry seaweed, but that I doesn't ha- sound good with chocolate. I, I had it once in college, and someone's like, oh, it's really good. You should try it. And it tastes just like you think it would. <laughs> it tastes like, like you ever been to like the ocean and you smell seaweed? Yep. And it smells horrible and disgusting and it turns your stomach. Imagine like ingesting that. It has the exact same effect, if not worse. Um, the only oh, thing I can okay, imagine okay. is that it might work as a concept in like small doses or small batches. Like if you take like a very minimal amount, cause it does have a saltiness to it and yes. you put that to like chocolate, maybe it will enhance it like any sort of sweet and salty combination. Yeah, like a, like a sea salt type of additive. Okay. Sure. It is a very minimal amount maybe, um, cause it does have that crunchiness. Maybe it works. So I recommend we have a dessert chocolate mousse. With sea salt, I'm sorry, seaweed crumbles. Mm, okay, I get behind that. I get behind that. Other than that, in the film, I don't think there's a lot of other food and stuff. I think like you do have okay. like the salt. At one point, the kid is trying to make uh, uh, icing for his uh, cupcakes. Yeah, I was going to ask what like do, do they give any information on what kind yes. of cupcakes he's trying to make? I think they're oh that's another thing too at the end of the film when they're cleaning everything up they actually make cupcakes and ice them in the span of fifteen on top of <laughs> washing the SUV mopping up an inch of water cleaning the dog cleaning up the fire damage the 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 the, the tomato sauce that's everywhere uh, saying goodbye to each other they also bake like three dozen cupcakes and ice them all of course and they they solve in fifteen uh, minutes they solve an international missile crisis yes. <laughs> they, 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 they solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict while they're at it, too. Um, yeah, they do that as well. Um, but no, very early in the film, when we're introduced to the culinary kid, he's trying to um, uh, figure out the perfect uh, icing. Mm-hmm. And he actually has a bunch of green goop in, like, a saucepan. And the hippy-dippy girl's like, oh, like, she goes up to him. And he, he's like, oh, you want to try my uh, icing? And she's like, sure. And he's like, what? And she's like, wow, that's really good. And he's like, yeah, I melted down a bunch of gummy bears. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. It's just, so it's just like you made liquid sugar. Yeah. It's c- sugar and high fructose corn syrup. Yeah. And that and he said he doesn't like it though. He rejects that. He doesn't we never get any resolution to the cupcake icing. Okay. Um, because I don't know how you can make icing out of uh, seaweed crumbles, but there is icing on the cupcakes, but we never we never get that. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah. Jeez, ice uh, seaweed crumbles. That's insane. On chocolate, on chocolate moves. <laughs> yes, yes. I I do have to say I'm interested to try it now. Like I said, I've never had dry seaweed, but um, as Zach described, you know the smell of it, how it makes your stomach turn. I guess we're just taking all all the unexpected love out here. Yes. I love the smell of low tide. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> my mom has made fun of me for that my entire life. <laughs> Absolutely disgusting. Great. We need what, right. we need like 4D cinematities so our our listeners oh, can no. smell low okay. tide. Right. Every now. every podcast subscription comes with a little like scratch and sniff card. That would be great. That's the merch we need. <laughs> I wonder how much that would cost. How much? I would imagine that costs money, right? Like a scratch and sniff card. Yeah, I've, with how much 
problems we had looking for decent prices on stickers. Like I can't like it's going to cost even more if we wanted like a scratch and sniff sticker. So like a scratch and sniff like card would probably be through the roof. What what sort of aromas would we have on the scratch and sniff card? Oh, tied tied to cinematis. What would they be? You know what, Rob? Okay, we we can't do it now, but make a note in the spreadsheet for the two year anniversary. Yeah, we'll have to go through the spreadsheet and figure out what aromas that we want people to experience while listening to the podcast from the restaurant. Oh my God! Yes, I'm. My mind's racing already. (laughs) Okay, this is going to be good for the two year the uh, the restaurant update. Yep. (laughs) Oh dear. All right, Rob. So, what sort of musical cue? What sort of music are we playing at the end of this? I, I I think I am leaning towards it's going to be uh, Then He Kissed Me in Reverse. But we do have a lot of good ones. We could even do Babysitting Blues in Reverse. But I just love Then He Kissed Me. I love the crystal so much more than, sorry, Elizabeth Shue, you're all right, but you know you're not the crystals, okay? <laughs> so, yeah, I think, uh, I think we get some of that great old, old school music in Reverse. People will love it. We're not going to play the, the wild side, Rob. <laughs> oh god imagine it's, you know this is the perfect disney channel like radio like like music it's just two teenage girls like trying to outshrill each other to mm-hmm. a pop beat it's basic it's everything everything on that radio ch- it's, channel it, it's, it's product yeah it's exactly. not music it's product yeah and we're not product right that's what we're saying that's our thesis of episode cinemodities the restaurant and the podcast is not product the restaurant an, is a lot experience. of things. It's not, it's not product. It's, <laughs> it's a film. It's not a product. Uh, yuck. 